Wait a minute. I thought this was how they got the Death Star plans. Welcome back to Bizarre Podcast, Dogs Must Die. My name is Grant. could call him Chip. And we are talking about some very different Stardust Crusaders today. The entire thing all at once. But probably focusing on the last quarter or so because a lot of shit happened. <laughs> and in order to do that, we are joined by another very special guest. Please introduce yourself as you would like to be introduced. Yellow, it's Voidburger. Sup, motherfucker? I don't know. Um, <laughs> uh, I am Chip Cheesem's domestic partner, um, and I also do Let's Plays and streams, and I am currently having a real cool gig with uh, GiantBomb.com, making a uh, commissioned little show situation called Void Burgers Hot Takes. Hot Takeouts. Hot Takeouts. It's new. Sorry. Um <laughs> And it's, it's just like dumb gaming opinions and we're going to see if people get mad at me. I don't know. It's fun. Um, <laughs> so far, so good. But there's only been one episode, so we'll find out. Um, <laughs> there might be two by now. Again, this, this is going up in oh, the yes. middle of October. There will be two by now. So I can talk about the next, the next one's uh, topic. I hope people don't get mad about me bringing up Firewatch after all this time. I think it'll be okay. <laughs> it'll be fine. It'll be fine. I think it'll be fine. <laughs> the Giant Bomb fans are very nice, so... Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's good. <laughs> it's, it's one level above the average gamer, I think. At least. At least one <laughs> at level. Least. It's people who are willing to think <laughs> <laughs> about stuff and, and not just go, why isn't this game 3,000 hours? And also, why is Kratos getting into the boat with the same animation as before? Why doesn't he backflip into the boat now? And also, why is the girl talking? Yeah. This girl yep. needs to shut up. <laughs> Which is a comment every time I do a great debate video, which is also a thing I do. Oh, uh, me and uh, Bob Vids make uh, Silent Hill related videos when there's any news about it, which there isn't. So we don't make a lot of videos about Silent Hill. <laughs> it's it's uh, slim pickings. It really seems like all Silent Hill news these days is conjured by fans wishing for there to be Silent Hill news. Like, what are we going to do? Report on people's dreams they had about a Silent Hill game? Like, Eventually, you know, we'll get there. Hideo Kojima blinked today in related news. <laughs> you know what's uh, uh, at least like a dozen steps above, you know, your, your average gamer, your average anime watcher. So that's what we're here to talk about today. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> uh, I, I broke tradition last time we had a guest on, so I have to make up for it by giving another theory on why JoJo's Bizarre Adventure is so popular. JoJo's is popular mm. because it is an action series where men have earnest emotions Eventually. It doesn't start that way in part three. <laughs> I'm nodding. I'm nodding. Yeah, but yeah. But it gets there. It gets there. And that is unfortunately rare. Like, uh, the the beginning of Stardust Crusaders is very much in, like, sort of the, the James Bond mode, where, like, people clearly have feelings, but they are too cool to share them. Mm. Mm-hmm. Eventually, by the end, as we go through this journey and we build these bonds, they are much more open and they are generally very manly emotions of, of camaraderie and, and loyalty and honor and, and all that stuff. But they are embracing and they are saying how they feel and communicating. <laughs> it's it's uh, it's what I appreciate about the Fast and the Furious series. It is in that same vein. Mm, I agree. That makes sense. Uh, I, I think uh, one of the reasons that, you know, Stardust Crusaders is um, my personal favorite arc of JoJo. It's that. It's the relationships. I really like 
all the characters and their broship with each other and mm-hmm, you know mm-hmm. it's very typical like oh enemies become friends sort of thing but i feel like it's like a little more i don't know there's something a little more meaty to it in this like you really feel the strife they go this crazy crap that they go through is like something that will bond (laughs) anyone together no matter how much they hate each other at first like you know even the fart dog yeah even the fart dog (laughs) you know genuinely mourning the death of this dog he hated this whole time (laughs) yeah and also like us like as as viewers like you know seeing iggy be this little piece of shit farting coffee gum loving dog and then like the pet shop episodes happen and you're like almost about to cry for this noble beast like you know i I think it's really incredible like iraqi's able to somehow pull that off and it almost makes me feel like i have no like object permanence or something he tricks me into (laughs) becoming like a baby I think there's a lot of little things throughout the show that also makes you feel like they're becoming closer friends throughout the whole thing because even though you don't see a lot of these moments there's plenty of times where they bring up something that had happened off camera that was just like a stupid like hangout thing they were doing like you know, mm-hmm, for mm-hmm. instance, Polnareff, you know, asking fake Joe Taro, like, hey, do that cool cigarette trick you do. <laughs> when did yeah. they show that off? When were they hanging out where Joe Taro's just like, check out this cigarette trick I can hey, do? Hey, Polnareff, <laughs> check out this cool trick. <laughs> now I just want to hear Joe Taro say cool trick. <laughs> cool trick. In recapping all of these episodes, because I was not watching alongside um, with a chip watching all these episodes but occasionally i would like pop in and out and be like oh shit cool it's this episode this episode rules mm-hmm, mm-hmm. it's like i had to do a lot of catching up so basically in the past two days <laughs> uh i watched uh episodes uh four through 35 ish skipping the ones that you know i remembered very well and like kind of skimming the ones where i was like oh this is the one where this happens but a lot of them were just like oh fuck yeah i'm watching this whole thing this episode is so good and so weird and i need to i need to see all the shit that happens in it you you know i kind of had to watch this in um the english dub just to like do Mm -hmm. it fast enough because i was playing it on 1.5 speed on netflix (laughs) which (laughs) i I don't recommend but it is super fucking funny by accident (laughs) like please edit in the clip of um in the uh, bast episode when uh, joseph is getting fucked up by the escalator and being like hey lady help me like, <laughs> um, oh, i really thought you said five times speed i didn't know netflix went up whoa. that high <laughs> god damn now nah, i would have definitely finished the whole series at, one, at five speed joseph just sounds like an insane person at 1.5 speed when he's trying to get Mariah to help him. She's like, hey, lady, this thing's starting to crush me. I'm trying to push the escape button. Why are you listening? Please help me. Lady, your thing's wrapped around me. Oh, my God, lady, please help me. You there, lady in the micro miniskirt. I need you to help me out. Please, miss, I'm begging you. Not to be rude, but your chain's wrapped around my body, and it'd be nice if you'd get it off me before I shred it to pieces. There's not much time, so if you could push the emergency stop button, that'd be swell. Come on, lady. The chains are pulling me tighter. This thing's going to rip off my hands and feet. It's really fucking good. It's super, super duper funny. Also, like the music gets like insane sounding at oh, 1.5 yeah. speed. Uh, but yeah, that is the fastest Netflix can go. <laughs> Thank God, because I know there's people out there that like just watch things at that speed, which to me is insane. They want to see how much stranger the things can get and they want to know right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so it's just like, I can't imagine like retaining any of this information 
on 1.5 speed if you hadn't seen it before. So, like, please don't watch uh, JoJo's Bizarre Adventure at 1.5 speed. Watch it at the regular speed. Uh, in conclusion, <laughs> it's nonsense at 1.5. I think talking about, you know, how, how the main cast becomes more open with each other, you know, probably one of the biggest examples of this, although it's a very subtle gradation from the start to the end, is Jotaro and how he acts. Mm-hmm. Where mm-hmm. basically you go from Jotaro just being rude boy, oh the rudest boy, to at the end begrudgingly liking stuff. <laughs> <laughs> he is the most Sundere character I've seen in my life. Maybe you never see him smile with his teeth. All you get is the slightest smile when he looks at the photo of all of his friends at the end in the plane. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. If you actually saw his teeth, it'd be like weird. I, I like I'm trying to imagine it. It's like. Ugh. Yeah, that would be weird. That would be weird. What if it? What if he doesn't smile because his teeth are bad? That would be the biggest giveaway that that's Oingo and not uh, actually JoJo in the backseat. <laughs> yeah, I I tweeted the face that Oingo makes in <laughs> during that because it's just like the one of the funniest faces I have ever seen, and I, and one of the reasons is because you don't see Jotaro's teeth ever, and I didn't realize <laughs> mm-hmm. like that's why this is so funny is because you don't see. <laughs> Jotaro emote ever. That whole episode was way funnier than I remembered it, by the way, and only partially had to do with going like almost double speed. It was funnier. Remember when I first saw that episode, it was one of my least favorite episodes. I think it was because it has this like nightmarish quality where no one believes you and no one will help you. And this is a really strange situation and it's dire somehow, but it's really goofy, you know, Mm -hmm. but it's stressful, even though it's really absurd. And I think I just didn't like that when I watched this episode initially and like going back to it, having seen like the rest of the series and the other stuff that Araki, you know, not spoiling anything, but Araki does stuff like that a lot more from this point on Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. that it's kind of like quaint to see and it's like oh this is like one of the really good ones actually where there's like (laughs) an absurdly nightmarish situation that everyone's being a big dumbass and can't help you with (laughs) i really like you know doing other stuff and you were just like talking out loud to me while i was like getting a drink or something like, oh man, this is the episode where the, the guy changes face to be Jotaro and he knows that that will make the orange kill him. And, <laughs> and even though I knew exactly what she's talking about, it's still just really fun to hear those situations said out of context. Like, mm-hmm, that, mm-hmm. That's a sentence somebody says when they wake up from a weird dream and you're just like, what? Honey, go back to sleep. What? No. Shush, shush, the orange shush, is going to kill him. The orange is going to kill. Nobody's helping. Everyone's making it worse. <laughs> And the dog came with the orange, too, once you thought it was everything was fine. So I kind of went off on a tangent earlier. Um, but I was mm-hmm. going to say, like, one of the things that I do like about this season so much is not only, like, the, the camaraderie-ness, the, the bro-ship of all the dudes in it, and how that kind of, like, slow simmers to become, like, the ultimate band of brothers... Uh, but also, like, I really like the format of the adventure of, of this one, uh, mm-hmm, it being mm-hmm. kind of like an Indiana Jonesy sort of like globe trekking adventure is really cool. I like monster. I like having a core cast and a monster of the week format. But in addition to the monster of the week format, there is like a big bad guy and a main goal, and that goal is like always on their minds, no matter who they're dealing with. Generally speaking, like it's always mm-hmm, in the background. Mm-hmm. Like we're doing this because we need to find Dio. We need to save Holly, and it's like restated over and over again that like that is the goal of everybody. And I just like that basic format 
um, more than like one dude versus one dude. One guy's good, one guy's evil, and there's a couple friends along the way. I don't know, you know, and 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 then you've got like the pillar men, which are basically like just the core monsters, basically. Um, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. there's not like a ton of other like monster of the week type variety going on. There, there's straight so to get owned in one episode and then <laughs> yeah, <laughs> get Joseph on his <laughs> onto the the main mission. <laughs> yeah, but I like I like the the mixture of like the the variables of all these monster of the week type folks with different wacky powers, but also there's a core mission that everybody's on board with and is the driving force of the plot. So it has this like variety to it, but it still has this focused core to it that mm-hmm. I think still makes this like a really strong story, even though it gets it's incredibly off the rails constantly at the same time. <laughs> so that's why I like it. There I go. <laughs> I think one benefit uh, uh, that, that part three gets from that episodic structure is that it lets you compartmentalize. Like it's really easy to skip over in a rewatch or just in your memory, the bits you don't like. You just don't yeah. worry about that stand fight and get to the next one. You can't do that for like Stroheim, you know, without <laughs> that uh, chapter to chapter structure. Uh, you can't really do that <laughs> anymore. The, the only bit I wish I could forget of Stardust Crusaders is uh, Alessi, the pedophile oh, yeah. guy. <laughs> but that being said, his stand is the coolest stand ever. And I'm really <laughs> fucking annoyed that uh, Araki gave it to a pedophile. That just sucks. Like, <laughs> don't do this. It's the coolest idea. This sucks. You know, many episodes ago when we were actually on the, that set of two episodes, we, we were just talking about how we really wish he did cooler stuff with his stand. Like... Mm. Mm-hmm. There's tons of times where Polnareff, you know, locks himself in a room or something. It's just like, wouldn't it be cool if he could just use his stand to age through the wall? Like, just turn Aww. it into dust or, and shit, just like Terminator through walls with it? Mm-hmm. That'd be cooler than just making That'd babies. That'd be cool. Making babies. <laughs> making babies. There is not a lot cooler than making babies, okay? <laughs> you heard it here so- first. The coolest thing is making babies. <laughs> I forget because I didn't. I skipped that episode because I was like, "Oh yeah, this fucking guy. I remember him. He's got the cool stand, but he misuses it to be fucking gross." Did his stand work the opposite way? Did it age people as well, or did it only? It's never shown to. Yeah. Okay. It, it kind of would be funny if he did like turn people into just like shriveled, wrinkly, uh, uh, on death's door, like super geriatric dudes. Mm, <laughs> mm-hmm. An interesting idea. Hmm. How painful would it be to turn somebody back and forth into a baby and an old guy? <laughs> Just like in your organs my and bones. bones my yeah, like bones. Your, your, the growth spurt alone would hurt so bad. Like <laughs> that would hurt so fucking much to go back and forth between those states. But then it would have to be a, a Joseph fight because anything that is like a betrayal of the body, it's always a Joseph fight. Oh, yeah. Joseph, he had the worst shit happen to him in this. <laughs> oh my God. Ugh, ugh, <laughs> constantly. Obviously, I have not watched or listened to the previous episodes of this podcast because I am too busy. And also, I live with uh, Chip, so I can just ask, like, how was the podcast? And he'll be like, I mean, you usually good. hear half the commentary anyway because I'm usually <laughs> shouting. Yeah. And even though the door is closed, you can hear me all the way in the bedroom sometimes. Yeah, you're like screaming about so, JoJo. And I'm just like, ah, it's this so, yeah, episode. You, you heard about Kakuin's fursuit. You know all the important stuff. Uh, <laughs> She she extremely knows about Kakuin being a milf loving gamer. Yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. An egg laying milk milf loving gamer. <laughs> God, right. We need to talk about that later. Uh, let, let's keep going on. I guess this is one and a half topics ago. Generally speaking, what makes a good stand? What what is mm. a stand? It's like hell yes, mm. that's a cool stand. 
Mm. There's a lot of different types of, of stand fights, even just within part three. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But I am I am just always a big fan of um, stands that have some sort of power that usually leads to um, at any fight where powers can be recontextualized in multiple different ways, either to be more creative within the fight or um, like some of the best some of the best stand fights in part three are stands that just allow the show to do a different type of story than normal mm-hmm. you know when it comes to either of the darby fights or you know like death 13 shit like that none of those are punch fights really and they all are just like hey here's jojo doing like a weird twilight zone episode here's jojo doing a gambling you know like a high stakes gambling episode and they yeah. just those stands just feel like vessels for like Araki wants to do a different type of story that maybe normally would not fit into a shonen manga but hey, because stands are flexible and can basically do anything, you know, you can turn anything into a fight. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. The, the, that's the type of stands I like the most. Yeah, I agree. And I also like, you know, in comparison, I think the the worst uninteresting stands are ones that are just like, here it is. This is what it do. Like, you know, the tower is just a big, fa- a big fast bug. <laughs> <laughs> what if there was a big bug on a plane? Like <laughs> The Wheel of Fortune is just a car. Yeah, I think the, the most boring ones are ones where it's just like, it's just a really fast bug or it's just a really fast punchy guy or this man controls water. It's like, yeah, well, okay. I think a good stand comes from specificity. Yes. Like uh, having a very specific thing it can do uh, uh, and like a predictable ability that can be used in unexpected ways. Mm. Mm -hmm. Like, oh, I never expected you to do this with it, but now because (laughs) I know what your stand does, I can expect this will be the result. And isn't that clever? Isn't that fun? Yeah, 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 yeah creative problems that demand creative solutions mm-hmm, i think mm-hmm. that's like the best format for a stand i'm thinking of um bastet or bast rather um but it's like a simple idea which is like what if you could just make certain things magnetic but mm-hmm. like there's extra gimmicks on top of it besides like wouldn't that be a fucking nightmare if all these metal things stuck to you <laughs> like also <laughs> you're 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 attracted to you know you're magnetically pulled to other people that are magnetized and also it gets worse as time goes on so eventually you're just going to have your body crushed you know bast herself has all the 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 freaking nuts and bolts in her bra like that's a creative (laughs) ridiculous fucking thing to do (laughs) just in case like they get too close to me or something and then like they have to they have to do the extremely creative solution of just being like we're just gonna smush together and (laughs) just get her like she wants to us to get got by her one of the most exhilarating moments of like actual peril is, I, I think, when uh, the power lines are coming at their faces oh, yeah. and like yeah. degloving from the insulation wrap. Yeah, stressful. That episode also asks the question: Wouldn't it be really scary if you just started fucking your best friend in public? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, a nightmare we've all had. <laughs> like- I also, speaking of um, reoccurring nightmares, um, Polnareff and his toilets. <laughs> Chip knows this about me. I don't know if everybody listening knows this about me. I have reoccurring nightmares and dreams all the time of having to, you know, pee or poop in the world's dis- most disgusting nightmare toilet. And it's always different every time. There's always something else that's fucked up and wrong about it. And I never realize mm-hmm. I'm dreaming. And just like rewatching this this arc of JoJo, I was like, man, Polnareff, I get it. <laughs> <laughs> 
This is exactly the shit that happens to me in my dreams. I've always wondered how much the toilet stuff with Polnareff was planned and how much Araki was just like, wow, I keep accidentally writing Polnareff into situations with bad toilets. And then he started acknowledging <laughs> it after a certain point. I, I feel like a lot of Araki's stuff, but especially like this arc kind of is him bragging about all the travel he's done and wants to do. Uh, mm -hmm, and like mm -hmm. he's always like writing all these like kind of great tips about the culture like in these different places like oh here's how to haggle and stuff like that which I think is like super charming but I think part of the like whirlwind a Rocky's tour of the world here part of that is like here's some fucked up shit their toilets are not like ours <laughs> and so Polnareff <laughs> is just like the the mascot of you know the educational uh, edutainment mascot of this country's toilets. They're not like ours. Uh, it just screams. It just screams that like Iraqi went to this place, found the world's most fucked up toilet, and was like, "I got to put this in my manga." <laughs> and then you see that same impulse uh, uh, turned around on an outsider's perspective of Japan in the cinematic classic Cars Two. <laughs> <laughs> and also Joseph hating. <laughs> hating uh like you know the warm water and the hot cola and the you know you drink tea instead of coffee like, you know <laughs> i i love his like weird like uh like like kind of fish out of watery sort of like i don't get why your culture does this and then there's always somebody else there being like isn't it wonderful though that they are different like <laughs> us so that nobody gets mad at him i guess <laughs> usually avdol <laughs> Yeah, Avdol and Kakuin, yeah, they, they yeah. really double team that, that side of the, the yeah. coin. They are very worldly and uh, accepting. Everyone's trying to, to rein in the slightly racist grandpa. Grandpa. <laughs> so as a, as a big Joseph stan, I still love him. I still love him <laughs> yes. in this. He just gets better with age. Well, you, you you cannot deny your husband. No, he's just, he's wonderful. I just adore Joseph Joestar so much. Um, and another reason I'm pissed off at the set episode is that Joseph does not get de-aged to be hot Joseph again. I will never forgive Araki for not doing this. Like, like why <laughs> didn't you do this? It's right there for you. I'm so pissed. It's It's been pointed out by people who have listened to that episode and, and some of our the other previous episodes of our, our show. Uh, but yeah, everyone has informed us multiple times that like, hey, basically every single JoJo fighting game has uh, Alessi as a playable character and you can de-age Joseph into younger Joseph mid-fight. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So yeah, it's, everyone knew <laughs> that that's absolutely what should have happened. So every fighting game makes make sure to, to, to fix that. I want like a director's cut of Stardust Crusaders where it's like the only thing that's different is that. Mm -hmm. So while we're talking about Joseph, oh, what do you think makes a good stand user uh, in general, a compelling character uh, or, or, you know, someone who's just fun to watch? Charisma. Hmm. I think it's charisma. It's a, it, I think it's a combination of charisma and comedy, like ideally, mm -hmm. um, because they have to have this like serious side that's going to fuck you up. And I do like that a lot of them become groveling, <laughs> stupid, please don't beat me up idiots at the end. Mm -hmm. um, Dan think... of Steel is a lot of fun to watch. Oh, my oh, God. Yeah. The best part of the Lovers episode is Dan of Steel himself. <laughs> he's so funny. Like, he, you know, he's very full of the charisma's off the charts because he's so full of himself and you can't wait to see him get beat up. Like, oh, like it's so it's so investing to know that this guy's going to get the shit kicked out of him. and You just can't wait mm -hmm. to see how. I think we pointed out that one, one of the really fun things about Dan of Steel is 
the fact that he doesn't act like he's invincible the whole time. Like every single time <laughs> jo like Jotaro grabs him, like I'm just gonna punch you anyways, even though it'll make my grandpa explode. Every time he like grabs him by the, <laughs> the cuff of the collar, like Dana Steele's face just goes like, oh God, like I'm gonna get fucked up. Even though that's Please the whole point me. of his stand. Yeah, like he still gets scared when he's gonna actually gonna get punched, even though that's how he works. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I think having emotional texture, right? E exhibiting more than one mood, yeah. you know, reacting along with uh, us, the audience, is, is a really important thing for, for a good, memorable stand user. You know what? Yeah. I was thinking of um, uh, Anubis, the sword, um, and how he doesn't have a user, so he is his own, like, the, the stand itself has the personality. So that was kind of like an interesting twist on the whole thing to begin with. But, you know, Anubis is very confident and threatening for a very long time. And then the instant he starts throwing himself into the Nile, he becomes the funniest character in the whole <laughs> arc, maybe. Like, it is so fucking funny to see this, like, super cool, super threatening, like, fursona god guy become this, like, groveling <laughs> idiot who reminds me of Lagoshi from Beastars. Like, he becomes, like, a such bit, a, yeah. an awkward goober. Uh, all of a sudden, he's just throwing himself into a river. The self-own is the funniest thing ever, but his reaction to yeah. it is just like, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. he knows how much he fucked up and his re his emotions are completely off the walls all of a sudden. It's so funny to see that side of this Egyptian god, basically. Yeah, it's it's funny to see him go, oh, good, I'm going to stop myself from, <laughs> from going into the river because I'm going to crash into this, this you know brick wall. And then he's, oh, no, I was too nervous. I phased through the wall. <laughs> <laughs> like I, I was too freaked out and I fucked up. I fucked up. And then like him hitting the cow, like he panics too much to realize, like oh I can just possess the cow, and then it's too late. Like just acting so polite to the little fishies and crabs. Yeah, calling them Mister Fish and Mister Crab. <laughs> I, like it's it's this unexpected second side. It's funny because it seems like it would be you'd get tired of it because it's a similar joke most of the time where this really, really tough person, they get owned, they become a groveling, sniveling fucking idiot. But for some reason, the flavor is different almost every time it happens. I think another important thing uh, that I look for in a stand user is uh, uh, their own skills and expertise that mm. they use in conjunction with their stand. Yeah. I like that. Darby the Gambler, you know, he's got a stand, you know, but that, that that's really just the way he ends the the fight, everything else is just him gambling. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. His, his stand doesn't help him cheat at all. I mean, I guess Darby the player does, but you know, like there's that part where he's just showing off to himself and the audience that like he can just flip through a page of the book and stop and know by feel what page number he's on mm -hmm. and shit like that. Yeah, that's an incredible skill. <laughs> and even with the main cast, you know, Jotaro a lot of the time just punches shit real good with Star Platinum, but also sometimes the fight is won by him psyching people out or, you know, flexing so hard he can grab a sword with his abs. <laughs> it's not all, it's not always his stand. Like, I think it's, yeah, it, I think it is cooler when the, the talents of the person themselves and their stand interact together to create powers that the stand itself does not have, really. Yeah, and I like when um, stand users plan ahead. Like, Darby was a lot of pre-planning. Like, everyone in this cafe works for me. That kid over there, or whatever. That cat, I know that cat. Or something. <laughs> you know, like, I, I know that cat. I know that cat. I know that cat. Planned. I, I appreciate the planning aspect that a lot of the stand users put into augmenting 
their stand power so that they have the best possible chance of winning when they do have a confrontation. Mm-hmm. And also, Bass did this as well with the the yeah <laughs> the the trap the booby trap bra. Geb's incredible senses letting him attack from you know miles away. Oh yeah, that's a really good one actually. Yeah, that's not even, that's just him. That's not even his stand mm-hmm. power. Oh my God, that's a, just a talented dude. <laughs> Holy <laughs> shit. I just, I'm looking at my notes and I just, episode 12, I wrote down Joseph's arm adventure. Because <laughs> I didn't want to watch that episode because it's so gross. <laughs> I just realized that technically, Alessi, he, he has an augmentation, but I don't like it. <laughs> yeah. What if he was actually good with the axe and not just a guy with a big axe? <laughs> yeah. His axe labeled axe. In case you don't get what it is, it says axe <laughs> on the axe. Question. Okay, so strength. The monkey. The, the orangutan mm-hmm. that is that has a boat. The genius the orangutan genius that has orangutan. a boat. Is him being a genius part of the stand power? I don't think so. I think he's just very talented because his stand power is a boat. I don't know, Void, if this is in your notes or not, but I remember you asking me this uh, around the time of the, the strength fight. Oh, yes. <laughs> His stand is the, the, the big boat. Mm-hmm. And everything inside of it is made of his stand. What is the shower water? <laughs> what I is think, that? I think it's apis. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> don't really that know. just makes that episode worse because now you've just got a naked 12 year old girl bathing eight piss and i don't like this <laughs> i mean everything appeared to be a working ship the radio is a real radio i have to believe that's real actual like shower water because if it w- because if it was anything else polnareff would be in the shower <laughs> Oh, man. Imagine if we got an alternate version of the episode where it was just a nude, beefy Polnareff. <laughs> Hello. Because, <laughs> like, there are all those fucking ass shots of the little girl, and you've just put Polnareff in there instead with the giant beefcakes in there. Like That would be way better. Same camera angle, so you don't even see his ass. He's too tall for the, <laughs> for, for the frame. Yeah, it's the back yeah. of his knees. <laughs> <laughs> I think another uh, aspect about like the characterization of all these enemy stand users is it sets up a really circular relationship with Dio and how yeah. like they both prop one another up. Like these stand users are so creepy and scary because they're devoted to Dio's pure evil, and Dio must be pure evil if these scary creeps are so devoted to him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Like it's not just a monster of the week thing. Like each monster reinforces and reminds you of not just the plot, but it hypes up Dio as this mm-hmm, incredible mm-hmm. final boss like how how badass must he be if he and how charismatic must he be if he was able to recruit all these people and animals and a sword <laughs> like and a baby and a baby like you know <laughs> and an evil baby oh my god those episodes holy shit it is like this you you said you said it perfectly that it's like a circular feedback mm-hmm. this next person's terrifying you think that guy was bad. He was working for Dio. Dio must be even worse. And like every time before they they die, basically, they're always hyping up like, you know, how incredible and gorgeous Dio is every time. Yeah. So it's like really good. It works. I mean, even part one establishes that a tiny bit by just the fact that in part one, Dio is able to recruit fucking Jack the Ripper as a lackey. <laughs> so, and also if Jack the Ripper had shown up in part three somehow instead, what would his stand be? Hmm. 
I've been trying to think of this earlier for some reason, and I, I couldn't I couldn't really figure it out. Imagine if Jack the Ripper and Anubis got together. Like, oh yeah, Ooh. he loves knives. It's, what's a sword but a really big knife? Mm-hmm. I just remembered that in the during the the sword episode with Anubis, they pronounced katana all fucked up, and I had to pause and be like, <laughs> what the hell? Katana. <laughs> katana. Who the fuck said this line like that? Did they tell them to do that? Fuck. <laughs> and also just hearing Jotaro like over and over was painful. Yeah. Very used to Jotaro instead of Jotaro. Yeah. Uh, I got I got more used to it, but it never really stopped making me flinch and be like, who? What? <laughs> eh? Can I bring up how sick the theme song is? Like, <laughs> yeah. this are, like both themes are fucking kick ass i love them both so much Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. the outro themes too holy shit and i i think that the the themes only get like better from here on out basically i mean they've all been really really good but i feel like they're all really good uh i just really 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 like stardust crusaders intro so much it's so sick seeing the the part where the world comes in blew my freaking mind when i first saw it like i right? i fucking screamed so like, bloody murder screamed in excitement that was the coolest fucking thing i'd never seen any cartoon do that before like not just anime like any animated thing i've never seen anything do something like that and that cool and it fucked me up it was so cool I, I want to bring up, because Void, I don't know if you, you remember, the first time you watched basically the entire end of Stardust Crusaders, because we were we were watching part three, and then it was like, well, we had to take a break for, you know, a week or two or whatever, because we went to fucking Disney World. Damn it. <laughs> and I was, sorry to me saying like that. <laughs> fucking Disney World. <laughs> but I was like, oh man, I can't wait to see, you know, what's going to happen in part three. And so I had like the last like three volumes of the manga or whatever, whatever and just like read them <laughs> on the flight there. Oh, right. And so I knew what was going to happen. And the ending it was like, oh man, Void has to watch the rest of this. So the instant we got back, we watched the rest of Star's Crusaders <laughs> and... Uh, you were high? Was <laughs> I? Yes. You, you were high enough and we were watching, we watched basically the whole Dio fight and Vanilla Ice fight all in one go. And you got real fucked up because you were a little high and everyone was dying every episode. <laughs> and you got fucked up. I was, I can't believe they killed Iggy and they, like, I couldn't believe that they killed Avdol like so quickly. Yeah, you were like shell-shocked and I felt a little bad. I was like, no way, <laughs> because like when he fake died, they drew that out longer. Like he already fake died, mm-hmm. so I was like, when he dies again, it's gonna be even more like emotional and dramatic and like, oh my god, oh my god. But it happened so quickly and so senselessly. He wasn't even like really protecting anyone or doing anything like particularly noble. He was just being like, look out, don't look behind you or something. And then like he just gets fucking turned inside out and eaten into an alternate dimension forever. No, hardly any fanfare. And I was like, no, this can't be happening. (laughs) Yeah. It's upsetting. (laughs) And also when you were thoroughly convinced that Joseph actually died. Yes, I thought uh, he was. Why not? Everyone else was dying. I mean, yeah. He he, absolutely did die. He got better, but he died. (laughs) Do you think when Joseph died, you know, like his actual literal soul flew out and talked to his grandson for a little bit and then ascended to wherever souls go in Jojo land? Mm-hmm. There's a part where he was just like hanging out with the souls of his other dead buddies. And then all of a sudden he just starts getting sucked back up. He's like, what the fuck? Where am I? Oh, <laughs> Caesar, oh. it was nice to see you, but I got to go. 
I got to answer some Weird Al Yankovic trivia. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, because, like, the instant Joseph wakes Bo up... Bo Derek to... needs me. I have to go. <laughs> the instant Joseph wakes up, you know, gets brought back to life, he immediately does the, the Dio joke, like, ha-ha, you, you didn't, shouldn't have brought me back to life because I'm just Dio and you're Grandpa's body. Grandpa. He must have been immediately thinking of that joke as he was, like, his soul was <laughs> flying back down to Earth. <laughs> like he needed time to think of that joke. Oh, I'm gonna prank my grandson so good. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like, hey mom, it's great to see you. Uh, this is like really the first time we've talked <laughs> since I found out you were my mom. Weird, right? But uh, anyway, I feel my heart beating again. You're not gonna believe what I'm about to pull. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I wanna, I wanna spin off manga. That's just seeing that shit happen. Which that reminds me, um, there is a official spin-off JoJo manga that was announced along with part 9 that is going to be about whole horse and a what? character from a later part of JoJo having adventures. <laughs> yeah. So we're getting more whole horse shit in the future. Crazy. What? <laughs> yeah. It's it's being written by the guy who did one of the crazy uh uh novelizations about George Joestar the second or whatever the 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 oh. World War Two or the guy World with War One no powers. Pilot. Yeah, the guy got mm -hmm. who got owned by a zombie. Yeah. Anyways, just funny thinking that Joseph must have been thinking about that joke while he was still dead. <laughs> so while while we're talking about the ending, is Star Platinum stopping time a good story twist? Is that satisfying? Because I can clearly see the, the for and against arguments, and I'm sure they are in the comments of our last episode. <laughs> yeah. It, it definitely feels like one of those things where right then and there when Iraqi was writing, he's just like, oh, actually, what if these stands are actually just the same? Mm -hmm. And I, I like the idea that, like, oh, maybe they have the same stand because Dio it, you know, has Jonathan's body, and if Jonathan had a stand, it also just would have been a star platinum style thing so that makes sense that maybe further down the line the, the generations of the same bloodline you know that same stand pops up and all that um so i'm not like that's bullshit or anything <laughs> i think it would maybe be more satisfying if throughout the entire throughout the rest of part three it had maybe been foreshadowed that jotaro had this time stopping power mm. and he just didn't realize he was using it like maybe star platinum gets like faster and faster and faster throughout the arc or something mm -hmm, mm -hmm. it's like wow he didn't used to be this fast like i didn't even see you move you know, like you know because like a as it is it seems to come from nowhere it's like Starfinger <laughs> again right yeah it's like you know if there were earlier fights where jotaro was pushed to his limits and then all of a sudden bam the guy just gets super fucked up and even he doesn't know how that just happened and that's like a mystery mm. and then it brings up the idea which hasn't really been brought up yet it kind of does eventually in later parts of jojo the idea that like how do you know what your stand can do yeah the idea that maybe jotaro <laughs> from the start just knows that okay I can tell that my guy punches really fast because I've just tried punching and it came out super fast. You wouldn't have the idea to try and flex a muscle and stop time. So if <laughs> he gets pushed to his limits, accidentally does that, and then eventually when fighting Dio realizes, wait, is this what I've been doing this whole time? And realizes, yeah, I can actually mm -hmm. stop time, but only for like half a second right now. Okay, let's start practicing this. That's kind of what it feels like, but just not fleshed out enough. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, like like the premise is feasible, but the presentation is just like, you know, 
<laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I can definitely see the perspective also where uh, the the idea that somebody else has this power diminishes Dio's power, mm-hmm. right? Like mm-hmm. his his whole thing is he is the the undisputed master of of time. He has a world that is all his own, and the answer to that is, and eh, not really. Uh, he's just kind of <laughs> dumb. Uh, and, and also, <laughs> yeah. it closes the door on JoJo winning a fight through you know his, his cleverness and coming at things sideways the mm-hmm. way he's done so many times. But like it also, like you say, heightens their their duality and their inti- intertwined fate, which I think is really important for for this fight. Yeah, and I I do enjoy once Jotaro goes like, oh, I can move for a little bit when he freezes time or whatever. Up until the point, like everything other than just like the end where he's just like, yo, I've just frozen time now. I think it's cooler that he has almost like a more limited version of what Dio's power is, where it's like, I can, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I can't freeze time myself, but I can move when he freezes time for like half a fucking second. How do I make that work? Which, you know, a big part of that fight is him trying to figure out, I can punch basically once how do I get him close enough and how do I make this a killing blow? Mm-hmm. Which, you know, like him having to play dead and give himself a fucking heart attack and stuff like that was super cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, we, we do get <laughs> we, we do get uh, uh, our own brand uh, uh, of that Jojo cleverness, you know, uh, manipulating the power in ways that Dio isn't anticipating. Yeah. So I think most of it works. I think the only part that, yeah, like falls a little flat is just after the steamroller bit, he's just like, oh, actually, I froze time. I'm just right here. I'm going to kick you really fucking hard now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> that, that part could have been, it could be cooler. Yeah. Um, it, it's a problem of delivery and not of, like, concept, I think. But I understand why people don't like it. Mm-hmm. I've never been too, like, annoyed or disappointed with that climax just because the whole journey leading up to it was really satisfying. Mm-hmm. And the killing blow on Dio like almost doesn't like matter to me because it really feels more like the victory that Jojo has over Dio is just pu- putting a crack in Dio's ego, really. Mm-hmm. Like like the real victory of Jojo there, I feel, is when Jotaro's able to get Dio close enough by playing dead and just smash his fucking brains in, and yes. that makes yeah. Dio like he's Dio's shaking and actually terrified and scared, uh, and that really feels like oh, that's where Jotaro won because he, yeah. he he fucked him up so hard it, that it, all of his confidence like immediately mm-hmm. got shattered. Yeah, because mm-hmm, that, mm-hmm. that's his his real power is his charisma more than anything like Dio. I mean, it is a terrifying sensuality that one wouldn't expect from a man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So so yeah, punching a pretty boy in the face who knows he's the prettiest boy. <laughs> it's worked so many times. That's the most foreshadowed thing mm. in in the whole fight. I know, <laughs> <Yeah>. right? <laughs> Anyone can can grovel if you get him. If you get him in the confidence, <laughs> and like like it's been you know also already established that Jotaro is very good at bluffing, you know, and like getting under people's skin if he really tries to. So I think this is also mm-hmm, kind mm-hmm. of a culmination of that pre-existing uh, incredible skill of his to just out-bluff, out-think, of course, out-punch everybody. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it does kind of come down to feeling like it's more punching, mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. I think like his his window that he got to punch Dio was afforded by, you know, his his wits and his bluffs and stuff like that. And that's why even though Star Platinum was really just big beefy punch guy, I still think he's a, it's a pretty cool stand. Because it's, it's just, how do you get the punch in there on guys that are generally unpunchable? And, that, and that's where, like, the, uh, the support comes in from the character of having a skill that is not related to the stand. Jotaro's skill. Also, I'll just say, like, I still really love the, the design of Star Platinum. 
He's cool. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's just a cool looking guy with glam hair. I'm trying to think of like who's my favorite stand design. I really liked, um, what was the stupid uh, Three Wishes guy? He was fun. Is it Justice or Judgment? I always get judgment. those two. Oh. Yeah. Yeah, Justice is Enya's stand. Right, right. Mm-hmm. The fog one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Judgment, the, li- the, the genie in the lamp guy. I, I liked his design and I also liked his uh, swagger. <laughs> that was a stand with charisma. Mm-hmm. Hierophant Green is a hell of a cool design, honestly. I love Hierophant. He feels... I like his little, like, chest triangle. Yeah. He's he's very tokusatsu to me. Yeah, that's what I was about to say. He he feels very tokusatsu. Yeah, even though it's just a knight guy, I like Silver Chariot a lot. Because he's got, like, normal eyes, like... So he feels like <laughs> yeah. he feels like a character more than a lot of the other like some of the other stands that are just like fucking weird. I've always thought Silver Chariot was kind of cute looking. Yeah, he's a little cute. It's <laughs> <laughs> something about his face. He's kind of cute. Yeah, he's got like you a meta knight. You see him face. as a baby. Oh, it's true. true. Yeah. He he is a cute baby stand. Mm-hmm. Adorable baby stand. <laughs> I'm sad that there's that flashback um, right before Kakuin tries to figure out how Dio's stand works, and he has that flashback to when he's little and you do see Hierophant Green but it's just like the normal version you don't see a baby version oh, for it. when Kakyoin was a baby that might have broke the mood of what they were going I for I guess so but... <laughs> I, <guess. laughs> I just want to see a baby Hierophant Green when Polnareff and Star Platinum were little babies he should have like done the sword launching thing but there's a spring that, <laughs> yeah. that launches the sword instead <laughs> Or, or it's like uh, one of those little missiles that you shoot from an action figure. What's with all the mouth stuff? <laughs> There's a lot of mouth violence, isn't what? there? Why, why all the mouth violence? What's with all the toilets? What's with all the mouths? What's with Polnareff almost licking a toilet? You got a combination there. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of mouth stuff, though. You're right. That's even worse because, yeah, like Polnareff being forced to lick the toilet is when he has a hole mm-hmm. cut through his tongue. Mm-hmm. So that's going to get in there and that's going to really fuck him up. That one innocent bystander that had some nails in his mouth and it got magnetized mm-hmm, mm-hmm. to Joseph oh, that and it went, really bad. went through his cheek. It's like, that's just some fucking guy. That sucks. Is, is it because the mouth is such, such like a sensory center? You've got your whole, there's a whole extra sense all in the mouth. No, never mind how many like nerve endings are in there. Or is it like, because it's your seat of speech, like a, mm-hmm. a, a point of mediation between the self and, and the world? <laughs> is is that. that why we're attacking mouths so much? I could see that, definitely. <laughs> like this also applies to a lot of the hand violence. I mean, a lot of the hand violence is just mm. ways to maim Joseph without permanently maiming Joseph. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But there's a lot of other hand stuff too. We, a lot of people lose fingers over the mm-hmm. course of, especially the final stretch. Oh yeah. I think like the mouth stuff though, kind of also ties in with the nightmarish qualities of a lot of these like scenarios where it's just like this is an absurd perilous you know stressful situation i feel like a lot of people have dreams where it's like my teeth are falling out my tongue is split like i can't stop (laughs) drooling or you know i have a dream where i have gum just like stuck in my molars and i cannot get the gum out of my molars (laughs) that's gonna be a stand at some point yeah it's just like that'll be in part nine i feel (laughs) i feel like there's just like a lot of like like subconscious it's a subconscious mouth trauma thing that we're drawn to to be like icky (laughs) yeah 
Yeah, I, I think there's a lot of reasons why mouth violence is so prominent. Like, it, but it's in the same way that dog violence is prominent. <laughs> it, it's just to, like get a reaction. I can't yeah. like when I try to look at all of the the full list of them. Uh, like, I, I can't find any uh, unifying argument that like applies to a lot. Like, there there are a few cases. I think individual uh, uh, bits of, of tongue stabbing relate to one another, like Polnareff giving the same wound he got to a different stand user weeks later. Like that, that's significant the same way that Kakuin and uh, Dio both get punched straight through, literally yeah. through their gut. Mm. But I, I don't know if mouth violence has a single uh, uh, thematic uh, a bit of weight to it. I think it's just everybody would hate if that happened to them. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It, it really just feels like you know, also a product of the the time part three was being made. There was a lot of hyper violence in manga and anime around that time, and mm-hmm, it, mm-hmm. sometimes it just feels like a guy thinking, "What's the most fucked up way this person could get fucked up?" I don't know. Their eyeballs get exploded and shoot on, or you know, mm-hmm. like yeah, you'd ex- you'd honestly expect more eyeball I was stuff. Gonna honestly, say, yeah, yeah. Like the, I don't remember. Yeah, is there any eyeball stuff? Not really. Mm, maybe Araki knew that would be censored if it was eyeball stuff. Yeah, because that stopped him so much. Before. Uh, that's true. <laughs> that's true. I also don't know if there's any sort of like difference in censorship when it comes to maiming mm, different mm. body parts. I don't know. But mm-hmm. it also might be a cultural thing. Maybe like Americans have more of a squick factor with eyeball stuff and Japanese people mm. have more of a squick factor with mouth injuries. Mm, mm-hmm, mm. It's, it's like when I found out like like Japanese people think we're fucking weird for having a clown phobia. <laughs> yeah. Like, Americans are just scared of clowns and they're like, what? I think we're fucking weird for having a clown phobia. It's like, <laughs> I think a lot of people are exaggerating how much they don't like clowns. I'm I saying agree. it. Uh, I, I, don't, agree. I don't think it's as real as... as much as, as it is a, a bandwagon thing. I I'm know. only scared of them in a social anxiety way. Please don't bother me. <laughs> <laughs> Leave me alone. Leave me alone. I don't want to be a part of this clown shit. Keep walking, clown. I only want to be a part of figurative clown shit. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of all the like just random violence that happens to characters, especially just innocent bystanders, I've call, kind of always wanted to know how many innocent people throughout Star's Crusaders die. What's the body count there? Oof, oof. It's got to be fairly high, right? Somebody must have counted. The big question you have to ask is, was that village dead before Enya got yes. there? Yes. Right, yes. right. That's, that's the biggest body count part, I think. <laughs> Hundreds or maybe even a couple thousand people, maybe. Mm-hmm. Got a bunch of dead guys on, on the, the, the ape boat. And the plane. And the plane. Oh, yeah. yeah. The tower like just kind of buzzed right through like a whole row of people. That we're all sleeping. <laughs> Can't believe everyone slept through that. <laughs> it almost feels like that stand should have had the ability to put people to sleep or something. Yeah, it's like, why is everybody so goddamn sleepy on this plane? <laughs> I think collateral damage kind of reduces once they get to Egypt. It like, does. Not to zero, for sure, mm. but... Only some of those people in the the patio cafe died uh, uh, when uh, Joseph got the the knife to the throat. Right. Where yeah. I, f- I feel like earlier, all of them would have been gone. You know. Yeah. And I'm trying to think of like innocent lives lost in the previous parts, and J- young Joseph around for like mass death. <laughs> like stuff blew up, but everyone was fine in like. That cafe fight with... I mean, there were all the people sacrificed for blood experiments. Well, yeah, that, that, yeah. that was... Yeah. Ha- that was going to happen anyway, regardless. <laughs> yeah. Those hundred vampires had to come from somewhere. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 
but yeah, there there isn't like a gratuitous example of of you know collateral damage the same way there is in in like yeah the strength fight for one. <laughs> that monkey had no regard for human life. <laughs> <laughs> that the guy. humans had no regard for monkey life. Uh, he was locked fair. up in a cage. Wait a minute, that he was, was pretending to be locked up in a cage. That was his cage. <laughs> that was a play for sympathy. This monkey is devious. Mm-hmm. It's a smart monkey. <laughs> he has porn and a Rubik's cube. Did he make that porn? Did he produce that from his stand? Is, is the Rubik's Cube his stand? Because then he'd be cheating putting it together, right? <laughs> <laughs> That's not very He's, smart. Right? I, cheating is the smartest thing you can do. I learned that in two Darby fights. <laughs> it's, it's a very biased Rubik's Cube. That's the only way a Rubik's Cube can be biased, I think. So we were talking about comparing Stardust Crusaders with uh, uh, previous parts. And that reminds me, I think it's interesting that a plot that begins with uh, uh, tarnishing the legacy of Jonathan Joestar, <laughs> I think ends with really rebuilding it, honestly. that That's how I read the final fight, that, that mm. Dio was defeated by all three JoJo's cooperating, yeah. and he would have destroyed uh, any of them one-on-one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That bit during, like, the near the start of the Vanilla Ice episodes where Dio basically, like, kind of confirms that Jonathan's body is still fighting him. Mm-hmm. That's super cool. I, That's really cool. I, like, uh, uh, Dio has, like, the literal flesh and blood of the Joestars, uh, but Jotaro succeeds because he has, you know, Jonathan's, you know, honor and, and uh, Joseph's guile. Like, mm-hmm. it, it is about legacy, but not genetics, which is something that a lot of franchises with their, you know, faded families, uh, <laughs> they, they get iffy on sometimes. Yeah. sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> I'm imagining there is an alternate version of Stardust Crusaders where once... Dio's body explodes. The soul of Jonathan also emerges from that, and you get to hear him talk for a bit. <laughs> mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> if they went, if the story went way harder with the idea of Jonathan is technically still alive with his body fighting Dio or whatever, right? You know, if they went more little with that. I also think it's cool that like Jonathan was the only person Dio couldn't corrupt. Yes, you know, yes. like even in death, he's. Uncor- incorruptible like he's so noble and so good that he even like in this scenario he's still fighting like that's really fucking cool <laughs> <laughs> i know a lot of people for various reasons go like yeah you can just skip part one or whatever or eh, jonathan is you know whatever but i i like jonathan Joestar. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I mean, he he like... really is the the benchmark by which JoJo's must be measured and mm-hmm. ought to be. Mm-hmm. He's a nice boy. He's a good boy. <laughs> I also feel like, you know, skipping the first part is like, it's really a big disservice to the whole, how, how crazy and how batshit things really do get. You, you can appreciate how off the rails and, you know, unique things become when you have that beginning as a comparison point, because it just started as two willful lads, you know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like fighting over father's fortune, like, you know, <laughs> like such noble, like su- such humble beginnings. And now we're like fighting a zombie vampire, you know, bisexual in Egypt. All the all these crazy rando strangers have powers. There's Egyptian gods involved. There's uh, a dog. <laughs> with magic <laughs> powers there's a baby like you know i feel like that shit feels less crazy if you don't know 
that this had the humble beginning of two willful British chaps uh, quarreling. And especially uh, uh, the conclusion, like the final arc of Stardust Crusaders doesn't feel so much like a sequel to the first two parts, the way that uh, Battle Tendency does to Phantom Blood, but a conclusion of all of them. It really does tie a lot of strings together that, that began in those parts, not just as oh isn't that nice but but like really uh grabbing hold and bending that arc to to a conclusion like this feeling continues into later parts of jojo as well but with part three this is where jojo has finally lasted long enough that it it feels like there's history to the show Mm -hmm. now like when when it's like oh you're finally meeting up with dio and fighting him you can see his face again or you know the part where joseph brings up granny arena to Dio and he's just mm-hmm. like oh that you know that fucking backwater shrew or whatever there, there's <laughs> such a connection to part one and two but it the show makes it feel like it happened so long ago you really feel the passage of time w- w- mm-hmm, with it mm-hmm. that's just super cool to me that I love that aspect of Jojo and like even though this kind of caps off like the inciting <laughs> incident of all this like okay Dio is actually vanquished and da 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 or is he? I don't know. I haven't like read all of the parts of the manga. He might come back. He probably does. I don't know. But you know, this is this is a good like, every set- other one. That's that's what I'm expecting now. <laughs> yeah. Every other one. It's, you know, you can probably set your watch by that. I don't know. It would make sense with Dio to come back every once in a while because Dracula does that. That's true. He's a vampire. <laughs> he, he he in Castlevania reappear every hundred years or so. <laughs> Even though the immediate you know legacy is kind of capped off in a nice way here, it's still mm-hmm. going to like continue through the like the bloodline because they're just interesting people with an interesting history and even though like it's not going to be always a completely direct descendant of jonathan necessarily there is still like this through line of that eventually ancient feeling history that Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. gives the whole thing this kind of grandiose feel of like destiny that kind of just builds on itself and i think skipping part one is like you're kind of truncating it in a weird way yeah, the, the JoJo's do agree. Nothing more fun than making babies. They love it. <laughs> oh, just just you wait. <laughs> I am very sure this hasn't happened with any of the parts in JoJo yet, but I want to see a sci-fi JoJo in the future. Oh, I'd love that. Uh-huh. <laughs> I want to see what Araki's vision of the future is like. Mm. <laughs> Should it catch with the 50-year skips? Always 50 years every time. Yep, yep. Oh, man, that would be so sick. I want to see JoJo in the year 3200. What's that like? I, w- I want to see like they're all in the Matrix or something. Like they all got like down. They all downloaded their brains and their <laughs> destinies to some sort of weird interplanetary internet or something. Like I don't know. The Matrix see- is oh. just one guy's stand. <laughs> yeah. yeah, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> do not see- kill that stand user, or we're all fucked. Do not do it. <laughs> I-, I want to see a Robo JoJo. They already had fucking cyborgs in the fucking 30s, 1930s, so... So it's plausible. Yeah. It's plausible, yeah. If you can make a tummy gun, you can make anything. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Are there history books within the world of JoJo where you can just look up Stroheim? Like, is he... <laughs> he has to be a notable figure for being the only cyborg Nazi. The, like, there, there just at least has to be a paragraph somewhere I in a history imagine. book that brings up this, the extra special Battle of Stalingrad where 300 men were killed by a cyborg. <laughs> I, I, I'd like to imagine that there was some sort of cover-up involved in that. Mm. Yeah, that, that, that feels like something that, you know, the, the paperwork got burned, uh, everything regarding the the uh, project in Mexico. Mm-hmm. And now, now there's some, like, did you know that in 1938, Nazi <laughs> 
super scientists. Like, nobody believes that yeah, shit. Right. Fuck it. Is it the Speedwagons Foundation's duty to cover that shit up? I think how, so. How <laughs> yeah. intertwined are they with the American government these days? Mm. Are they a completely independent organization still, just doing their own Speedwagon shit? Or Their office is on the land that became the Senate office building. That's they right. They are deeply, intrinsically oh tied right. with the... That's right. <laughs> the Speedwagon Foundation is so secret that, like, we as Americans in the real world don't know about <laughs> it. Like, that's how good they are. Fucking Dick Durbin gets on the wrong <laughs> elevator and he's face to face with Santana. <laughs> God. H- how much work did the Speedwagon Foundation have to do to, like, cover up all those times they worked directly with Nazis? <laughs> <laughs> probably, probably better than we've covered it up as Americans. <laughs> Just as good as NASA, which is to say we don't talk about it. We, yeah. we just don't talk about it. <laughs> I'm guessing Dio just didn't know about the Pillar Men because it really feels like he would have broken into the Speedwagon Foundation and recruited Santana mm. as another stand user if he could somehow give Santana a stand. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Santana. Or else Sa- Santana becomes the loser vampire. And, like, <laughs> Yes. <laughs> that, that would be an interesting development for... You for, can be my intern. For the part three <laughs> remake because... All of these discussions turn into like, uh, uh, what? What if we yeah. we got a, an extra pass? What if we got a draft? And there are even elements of the anime that are that way, like the the all the added Polnareff scenes. Oh yeah, and the the judgment fight, which make that part way better. Or or even uh, the flashback to Kakuin's childhood. Apparently, that was at least expanded, uh, if not invented, oh. for the anime. Okay, interesting. And I think that really makes Kakuin's character. Honestly, it, it adds a whole dimension to like what is at stake and and what is the thematic weight of this final fight. Like Kakuin is an isolated child, tempted by Dio as like the one person to like reach out and really understand him, even though it, it's not for any of his own good. Is is this the first depiction of like the web forum to alt right pipeline? <laughs> <laughs> Damn. Web forum to flesh bud pipeline. And and like we know that this is something this this is part of Dio's MO. Like Geb is Kakuin's dark mirror in that way. Mm. The way he talks about Dio is like, yeah, his uh uh fucking school guidance counselor that really believed in him for once. The power of charisma. And then we talk about like the, the beginning of this episode, the the fucking uh uh like positive male relationships and 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 bonding. Yeah. Like th- it's de-radicalization. Yeah. Whoa. I'm I'm on I'm on board. Are you telling me <laughs> Stardust Crusaders is woke now? Now I have to get angry and <laughs> post about it. As Lord Dio would want me to. <laughs> can't believe they're hanging out with this brown guy Ugh. oh man jeez i'm just imagining dio like commanding all of his servants to like post on the internet and make bot accounts mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> laughing also maniacally. if any of the stardust crusaders are canonically gay it's avdol i don't know why i think that i just honestly do think that <laughs> I don't yeah, have, I don't like, know. a textual uh, uh, reason for it. I just get a vibe. I don't know. <laughs> no, I kind of get it from, from Avdal, actually. It. Yeah. I think Kakyoin's bi. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I see that for sure. It's the only way he can lay an egg, like. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Duh. We'll get there. Fuck, we'll get there. <laughs> How did Kakyoin lay that egg? So we're here. We're talking about Kakyoin laying God damn it. <laughs> no, later. there. <laughs> Before we get to that, um, just going over the whole main cast, it is funny how many character arcs Polnareff gets. 
a lot. Right? Yeah. He gets a lot. It makes it makes Kakuin look like shit. Like it makes Kakuin look like he's not even in this party. There is kind of a recurring thing with all of his character arcs, I guess, with Polnareff of him almost having like survivor's guilt. Like all the people he cares mm-hmm. for die, mm-hmm. he has to keep carrying on without them. Mm-hmm. You know, that happens with his sister, that happens with Ofdal twice, that happens with Iggy. Yeah. <laughs> Like it, Polnareff's just a guy cursed to outlive all of his loved ones and and run into the world's worst toilets. Yeah, that too. <laughs> it's a bad life. You think the the story might have been like like the the crew as a whole might have been better served if Polnareff also took a break. Uh, he, he's the only non JoJo to not have a time away from the group. Yeah. Unless you count, like, the first four episodes, I guess. Yeah. He deserves a vacation. (laughs) He does. He really... Polnareff's day off. (laughs) He just would have gotten fucked up by someone. Every time he's alone, like, someone attacks him. Because he's just the dumbest of the group. He's he's such a dummy. I love him. (laughs) I forgot how much I liked Polnareff. The the funniest Polnareff moment is when he is watching Joseph do peekaboo with the evil baby and the baby's giggling and Polnareff's just like, that's not even funny. What's the joke? I don't get it. The stupid baby doesn't even understand. <laughs> it's like Polnareff has never seen a baby. No, no, he hasn't. He does not know what diapers are for. He's never seen a baby. Yeah. I also like that there's a little bit of implied jealousy that he doesn't get the joke of peekaboo. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I don't get it. It's not funny. I wish I enjoyed that. He just wants Grandpa Joseph to play peekaboo with him. <laughs> He does get a chance to be grandpa adopted at the end, and he passes it up. Mm, right. So, like, he's gotten over himself by the end. That's his character development. Yay. No more grandpas, <laughs> no more mommies. <laughs> does Polnareff, like, permanently develop, like, a weird thing after that whole being a baby thing? Man. <laughs> the yeah. whole thing. Because, like, he doesn't seem to really remember it once he becomes an adult, but there is a brief moment where he's like, wait a minute. Mommies? Mommy? Never mind, never mind. <laughs> I think he's fucked up for life because of that, subconsciously. He experienced a lot of trauma as a toddler. Yeah. <laughs> There's a lot of scary shit that happened to him. A lot of trauma as like a 28-year-old toddler. Yes. <laughs> scary. I think it's a shame that Joseph is the only person to fight Dio that doesn't injure him in some way. He, he never lands a shot. Oh, Yeah. Mm. And, like, part of it is that he doesn't have, like, a very offensive stand, yeah. uh, uh, which comes up time and time again. But it would have been nice if, like, the Hamon singed him I a know, little bit or something. That would have been so cool. He does that really cool thing where he wraps himself underneath his clothing with his stand and has Hamon channeling through it to, like, give him a shield, which is really cool. Yeah, I just wish... Like, I understand why Dio doesn't fall for it, because he's had so much experience with getting owned by Hamon mm-hmm. in the past that he's extremely cautious of it now. Yeah. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. But damn, it would have been cool if, you know, Dio regenerates super fast and shit. It still would have been cool if, like, he locked off one of his hands. Something. <laughs> yeah. Let Grandpa fight. Mm-hmm. <laughs> It just feels like a, a missed opportunity that his only, uh, that, that everybody, at least everybody living, really did have material support in uh, uh, JoJo's final victory. And Joseph's was basically just to be a, a messenger. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And by that point, Avdol was already dead. Yeah. He had no input in that, even though it's like, man, like without Avdol, like they wouldn't have even gotten here. Like his expertise mm-hmm, and mm-hmm, everything, mm-hmm. like he was so invaluable to the team. It's like so tragic that he's 
you know, he gets ganked so early before they even get to actually have the showdown with Dio. It just, it does feels ramp bad. up the stakes, but it feels really bad. <laughs> <laughs> like, I kind of like that Avdol goes in, out in that way a little bit just because, I don't know, it feels a little more real. Like, not everyone's going to die a hero's death. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Sometimes they just go out and that's it. There's also something notable that Avdol is the only one there for the greater good, like for justice itself. Yeah. Everyone else has skin in the game, something personal to prove to themselves or a, a mother to save. Or revenge yeah. on Dio because Dio, you know, did this to them, flesh-butted them or whatever. But whenever it's like Avdol's internal monologue, it's like, this dude fucking sucks. I'm a goddamn <laughs> superhero. This is what I do. Yeah. That's why he's so fucking cool. Like, he doesn't have to do this, but he's doing it. Like, that's cool as hell of him to do. Thank you, Avdol. Yeah. Avdol Appreciation Podcast. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Love that, Avdol. Lo love his character design in general. He's just a cool looking guy. He's cool. His earring necklace. You don't see that every day. Yeah, his earring necklace, man. I really liked his English voice actor a lot. Mm hmm. Because this is the first time me, me doing this recap <laughs> speed run uh, was uh, the first time I had really like heard a lot of the voice acting, the English voice acting. I think they all do a great job. I think uh, Abdul was like my early favorite, though. I was like, this is a great voice mm -hmm, for Abdul. Mm -hmm. Like immediately I was like, yes, this is exactly what he should sound like. Others had to I had to warm up to a little bit. I did like Joseph immediately, though. I thought he was mm -hmm. pretty much perfect. Jotaro was one of the last ones I warmed up to. <laughs> I don't know why. I just ugh, He's just McCree in my head. I don't know. I think Iggy is the only one that is like hands down superior to the original voice. <laughs> yes. <laughs> he is straight up better in the English dub. <laughs> he, but, he's, but he's got they, like a Danny DeVito thing good. going on, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think Dio is great. I, it is a shame oh, really that good. he doesn't do the, the screech, but I think his acting is, is great. Yeah, 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 he, yeah, he is awesome. I forget that, that voice actor's name, but he's in a lot of stuff. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. He's Endeavor in My Hero Academia, I think. But yeah, he's, he's a really good Dio. I really like, I mean, I brought him up earlier, but uh, Justice or no, Judgment, his voice was hilarious. I don't know why. I just really <laughs> liked, I liked Do you agree with me <laughs> that it's Optimus Primal doing Santa Claus? <laughs> Oh. I don't know if Void has heard Optimus Primal before. Okay, okay. The 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 Optimus Prime from Beast Wars. Oh, Optimus Primal. No, I'm yeah. unfamiliar. Monkey Optimus. <laughs> a monkey Gorilla Optimus. Optimus. Who is also a genius and could probably do a, a Rubik's Cube really good. A rigged Rubik's Cube. <laughs> He's captain of a ship? Like, come on. Come yeah, on. man. You're probably right. <laughs> By the way, are there really big toilets this is not related Wait, to anything. I'm pig sorry, toilets. what? Are there, oh, pig are those toilets. Real pig toilets? I thought you said big toilets, and I was just like, where is this coming from? I have, like, girlfriend <laughs> no, asking, are there butts. big toilets? <laughs> well, well, COVID has made me gain some weight, and I was thinking of getting into some big toilets for my big butt. Um, <laughs> pig toilets. Pig toilets. I'm, I'm sure there are, where, where the poop just goes into a pig pen, I'm sure that's real, but is it really close enough that you have to, like, hit the pig with a stick so you don't get your bits chomped off. So I just Googled pig toilet. No. Why? Why did you do that? Why um, would you do such a foolish thing? In an incognito w window, I hope. A pig toilet is a simple type of dry toilet consisting of an outhouse mounted over a pigsty. How, how many feet can the pigs... I'm looking at pictures and I can't tell how close the pigs are. Oh, wait! There's the pig! <gasps> it's not underneath the toilet. You gotta link this. Oh no, we're getting into the part of the podcast where we're just looking at pictures no one can see. But <laughs> it's tradition, baby. It's tradition. <laughs> I'm sorry. This is when ask. we get our second wind. Look at that time. pig. 
It's oh next God. to the outhouse. Oh, uh, he's like deep in. Oh, it's next to the outhouse. What? But who knows? Maybe there could just be a toilet suspended right above a pig's mouth. You know, space is at a premium. Yeah. They, they don't have this much square footage. Would a Rocky make that up is my question. He made up stands. He can make up I know, a pig's I toilet. I know, but is he falsifying? <laughs> is he falsifying the toilets for dramatic effect is my question. Because I feel like he tried to get, or at least tried to represent in an interesting and educational way, the, you know, uh, it's like it's like a travelogue. Like, oh, go here, have this food, haggle, you know. I feel like you part of it. You want to do the, the stardust pilgrimage. You want to follow the, the <laughs> red line across Asia. And if the toilets aren't particularly strange and disgusting. <laughs> I just feel like everything else has this ring of truth to it, where it's like, here's how you haggle. This is the type of tea they drink. It's like very factual. For, to, to muddy the waters with a fabricated toilet. That just throws me off. So I'm wondering if there is such a toilet where there's a pig head basically right there and they give you a stick and that's for bapping the pig away. (laughs) I'm curious about the the instant desiccation open air desert toilet. Oh, yes. Well, I don't think it was. I don't think that was instant. (laughs) It looked pretty instant. No, that was that was poop that was already there. Polnareff came in. I just watched this episode. Polnareff went into the <laughs> fucked up little outhouse. He went in, looked at the dried, the poop was pre-dried up because it had already <laughs> been sitting there and it rolled away and it got destroyed, <laughs> turned into sand. And it's because it was somebody else's poopy. It was not Polnareff's fresh poop. I'm yeah, sorry. It was somebody else like 10 seconds ago. No, not 10 seconds. There was a no, line. No. There, there was, was a line and Polnareff was at the end of it. There was not a line. <laughs> I'm sorry, I just looked over back at my Google results for pig toilets <laughs> and the part where people search for other things. We've got questions such as, do pigs eat anything? What is pig poop like? <laughs> what is pig poop like? Do pigs eat humans? Are pigs the dirtiest animal? Do pigs eat meat? Why does pig poop stink? Can you burn pig poop? Why does my poop smell like pig poop? Do pigs eat anything? <laughs> Famously, they eat lots of things. What? Practically anything, as, as the legend has it. I just like to think someone's Googling this because they got a pet pig and don't know why it's dying. <laughs> I, I open up the, the question, do pigs eat anything? And Google just says, in bold, a pig will eat anything. <laughs> and it's got a pretty cute picture of a pig. Oh, do pigs eat anything? Not, do pigs eat anything? <laughs> Wait, do pigs eat anything? Not anything? Why does my poop smell like pig poop? It's because it's... you eat anything. <laughs> it's more like, will pigs eat anything? Not, can yeah. do pigs eat anything? Yeah. Anyway, JoJo's Bizarre oh, Adventure. JoJo's Bizarre, JoJo's Bizarre Adventure. Adventure. Yeah. So when they resurrect Joseph, I love that part. I love that part for, I mean, obviously, it means Joseph's not dead. But also, <laughs> it shifts the victory from, like killing Dio to doing the impossible that that's even the quote right mm-hmm. like uh, uh and so they cross the line to being real heroes rather than these like personal vengeance dealers yeah they're, they're ab- actually able to bring back something that Dio took not everything mm-hmm. but at least one thing and there's very little they can like Dio Dio was about to launch his his great plan of world conquest after you know defeating uh, uh, Jojo he didn't get there he didn't leave a lot undoable to be undone yeah going back to that that thing that that came up in part two the idea that Jojo's die young 
or you know just mm-hmm, JoJo's mm-hmm. can't cannot complete their mission without dying and so Joseph being able to escape death literally like basically a second time is kind of like yay yay <laughs> it, it feels like a curse is broken you know yeah mm-hmm, mm-hmm. The, the the curse that speed uh Ario's speed wagon was so burdened with I, I just want to bring out real quick that I love the couple of scenes with Rosas, the 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 butler for Susie yes. Q, yeah, because he I is just him. he is just carrying on the legacy of Speedwagon of just eternally worrying for the Joe Stars. It's a noble role to plots about the Joe Stars. <laughs> this just proves that no one man can be all that Ario Speedwagon is, except for Ario Speedwagon. <laughs> yeah, somewhere is there is a hammer guy. Somewhere there is a, a knife criminal, and and like <laughs> these are the the various branches that that together they they can Captain Planet into Robert Eo Speedwagon. <laughs> I love, um, he might have done it more than this one time, but in the, in the episode with Anyaba, uh, when Whole Horse is, like, dealing with Anyaba, he kind of has this speed wagony role of just shouting what's happening and explaining everything. <laughs> it's yeah. like, oh, well, he, I'm getting speed wagon vibes from Whole Horse. He really looks like he could be a descendant. Like, he does, visually, though. Mm-hmm, he's mm-hmm. a blonde buff dude with a mullet. He looks close enough to Speedwagon. He could he be, be related, potentially. Yeah. The Speedwagon scientist started a cloning program because right. uh, uh, Robert <laughs> never settled down with, with a fine lady wife. Yes. His heart only had only beat for Jonathan. Lifelong bachelor. Yep. Well, I forget that the last episode just kind of ends with them on a plane going home. How nice is that? Yeah. The, the first time they've ridden the plane where nothing bad happens. <laughs> Ever. Yet, it freeze frames. I, I don't know. Yeah, we don't that know. That plane is not landing on its wheels. God, yeah, imagine you just start watching the first episode of part four, and it's just the plane with Joseph and Jotar on it, just in a, a burning wreck. Flaming and they're wreckage. both dead. <laughs> they died seconds after the end of part three. Tragic. What are your expectations for part four, Grant? Do you have I don't any? know. I feel like I, I don't know. I don't know nothing. I'm I'm left twisting just, in the wind because there's totally, no part four preview. Totally no no info for like you're going in completely no whispered rumors on the wind of what's in store. I know some things. I don't want to say what I know because I don't want to spoil people like in the same mm. like seat as I am. But okay, fair. What I don't know are very important things. Like <laughs> who is fighting who and what. Like, yeah <laughs> yeah that's a gist you're gonna want to know that <laughs> like uh uh our new jojo i know his name and his connection to the family mm, okay 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 all right uh uh with with some holes in there that i'm sure will be filled in do you know where it takes place no okay. i i know it cool. takes place in a very colorful place yes okay okay <laughs> Cool. Like literally, like the, I, I do enjoy what I've seen of the the palette, yeah, and how breaking from the, the more muted and uh, uh, representational colors of of part three, at yeah. least until things get get wild every, every episode. <laughs> yeah, I feel like a lot of the color palette that's usually reserved for um, shock reactions in previous um, arcs, they're just kind of used a little more regularly in it's the just everywhere arc. all the time it, it's just a lot a lot more like uh psychedelically not that there's too much psychedelic shit happening but the color palette is definitely a little more uh creative and varied than you've seen in the past and that is an exciting fun little change mm-hmm. but yeah as far as who this jojo is as like a person and who or what they're going to have to fight and why and, and I, I nothing i got nothing cool i don't know i don't know very exciting <laughs> Are there are there still ghosts that fight? Do you think? I don't think stands are ever going away. 
Mm-hmm. Like, I, okay, I know for a fact stands are never going away. Yeah. <laughs> They're too cool. They can't. I did, as promised uh, in last week's episode, I did watch the the uh, OVA version of these episodes. Ooh. And, like, I wanted to talk about some of the differences because there are a lot of, like, fine-tooth differences. Like, Kakuin shows up to do an 11th hour rescue instead of just, like, before they get to the door, which is cool. There, there's a lot of little things like that. Like, uh, the vanilla ice fight plays out mostly the same, but in a different setting. Mm-hmm. But the character notes and the tone changes are are the biggest, most interesting changes to me. Yep. Yeah, remind me, because it's been so long since I've seen it. The only, the only part that I super remember about the OVA, which was made, it was like the 90s, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. This was made relatively soon after publication, honestly. Mm, wow. As, as far as, you know, the, okay. the production timeline of animation goes. Mm-hmm, okay. Uh, the only thing I remember really about the OVA is that uh, Satoshi Kon worked on it, and you can tell. <laughs> I, don't, <laughs> I don't know how familiar you are with uh, Satoshi Kon's work. but Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm I'm a I'm a, a Tokyo Godfather's head. Oh, Absolutely, it's a good ass movie. Best movie, right? Oh, God, really it's good Christmas so good. movie. <laughs> Jesus, I love that movie. But like, especially like Satoshi Kon's more like psychedelic, dreamlike works. Like, mm-hmm, perfect mm-hmm. choice for like the the Dio scene where he's in that guy's car and the guy runs out of the car and he like stumbles back into the same car. Yes, like, yes, that is like 100 percent like satoshi Khan bullshit you can definitely like, oh, predict perfect. like the match cuts in paprika from, from yes, that sequence for absolutely. sure yeah. I, I i love that part and it's like really the only part that really like stuck with me for some reason i don't know what are the, what are the big differences the big differences are that uh the goofiness and the cleverness most are, are gone the goofiness entirely and the cleverness much less so replaced with more uh, uh, gruesome physical violence. Yes. I, yes, I do remember that. I remember thinking like this feels a lot less fun, but a lot mm-hmm. more like gritty. Like Vanilla Ice is not defeated by realizing, ah, you're a vampire now. <laughs> I, I've trapped you to step into the light. He's just stabbed a whole lot more times. <laughs> yeah. Or or uh, Jojo doesn't pop out droopy dog style from uh, uh, the manhole. He just steps on Dio's hand on the street by the manhole. Yeah, it definitely feels like the OVA is trying to up the cool factor. Yeah. Oh, in, for, in sure, like, for sure, for like sure. In like a 90s way. <laughs> yeah, what was viewed as cool back then, which was just like fucking punching dudes you know (laughs) also like the uh i think i brought this up maybe last episode but yeah the the sound design both the music and sound effects and and the soundscape is very different from the Mm. david productions anime because it's it's a lot more sparse there's a lot more quiet moments than than the the current anime which is you know music all the time Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. it works so good though like i feel like the music in jojo in general is really really an iconic part of the the whole aura of it like that's why some of the music stings themselves are just memes you know like they're so they're so impactful they're so memorable like they are such an integral part of the pastiche the mystique of jojo and how cool it is and how strange it is uh and like music and sound cues are used incredibly well in that way so and it is more of a modern anime thing to kind of like have all these layers of sound and compare it compare it to like you know mm-hmm. late 80s early 90s stuff where it's just like oh we're just punching guys here we don't need to orchestrate <laughs> it you know it's cool enough that they're getting punched right we don't need a big orchestra <laughs> sting for it 
Iggy is treated very interestingly in uh, uh, the, the Dio parts of the OVA because he doesn't have Pet Shop. Mm-hmm. So like that that very important part to his character journey is gone. Mm. And so it, it's replaced with, uh, you know, when they're entering Dio's mansion, which is 10 times the size in the OVA. <laughs> yeah. This building's gigantic. Avdol has a little moment where he's like, hey, Ig, it's cool. I know you're not ride or die like the rest of us. Have all of my gum and you just chill out with the car, okay? Mm. If things are cool, we'll come back for you. I understand. <laughs> if things are cool. <laughs> I have a feeling they're not going to be cool, though. <laughs> and and then by the time they, they get up to the coffin room, Iggy has like snuck in behind them. And when Avdol realizes that he has decided of his own free will to like join the group, Avdol gives him a little smile. And it's a really sweet moment. Aw. Yeah. It's too bad in the OVA that Iggy just doesn't die from getting kicked. He gets his whole goddamn head cut off. Oh my god. Yeah, he Jesus gets Christ. torn in half Whoa. by, by uh, Vanilla Ice. It's fucked up. Oh, oh no. <laughs> that poor dog doesn't deserve that. He's, you see his guts. His guts come oh. out. Yeah. Oh, Iggy. Yeah. That's terrible. <laughs> Iggy doesn't deserve that shit. God damn. I kind of like the change they made to our, our Holly cutaway. Instead of some comedy moments of Susie Q uh, uh, taking pictures of, of unhoused people. Uh, <laughs> she's just there. And our moment with Holly is her stirring and like, and, and giving her, her like goodwill toward her son and father while she is still comatose. Like the, mm. the doctor <laughs> confirms that she's still out. She, she's giving the, these words uh, regardless anyway. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that happens in the moment where Jojo punches down the, the door to enter into the castle. Uh, that's cool. I like, I like, you know, once everything is settled, it like Holly just like gets better, gets up and is like, yay, they're coming home. And she just knows. And it's like, that's great. I like, I like how immediate yeah. that was, you know, that's some very nice, you know, cathartic closure that she's just like immediately better. I think uh, the most notable difference in characterization in the OVA version, though, is Jojo himself. He gets outwardly nervous. He is sweating a lot of yeah. the time. He's grimacing. He is frightened. And like, that's bullshit. Uh, that, that's, that's not my Jojo. That's, <laughs> no. my, that's not my Jotaro. Mm-hmm. Who's this boy? I don't know him. The, the most Jotaro looks worried in the David Productions version of the, the Dio fight is when the steamroller is falling on top of him and he just looks slightly concerned. <laughs> <laughs> like yeah th- this version he is stone cold determined the whole time and in the ova i think because it follows immediately after darby a fight that he wins by being that way mm. that that this is supposed to be you know the, this hard cut hard flip that that really sells dio and, and puts him over when you have all these fights in between i think it's a better choice for mm. the format, for the the full uh, adaptation format to, yeah, have Jojo be at his most Jojo. Yeah. Yeah, like see, seeing him express like any lack of confidence is so strange to mm-hmm. imagine. Like his main personality point is that he is so inexpressive. <laughs> <laughs> so seeing him sweating is just like, what the fuck? Like this, it's not like, it doesn't instill like drama as you might think. It's just like, this is out of character. <laughs> Yeah, you can imagine a story where Batman is broke and gives people nice hugs, but like, <laughs> but without the right context, it's going to be pretty weird. Yeah, yeah. yeah, it is funny to see that like by the end, it really does feel like, you know, Jotaro has changed, but it's so subtle. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's really just like something about the show, something about Jotaro himself makes you change your mind on him, even though he doesn't change that much himself. Does he change or do you change? 
Yeah. Does mm. he change, or do you get that much better at reading what's been going on the whole time? Yeah. Mm. That's a good question. Do you think after, you know, they defeat Dio and they, they come home, is is Jotaro finally much nicer to his mom? I hope so. Does he stop calling her a bitch? <laughs> I, th- I think so. I think he absolutely is nicer to his mom after yeah. this. Yeah. Because, like, she, she has proven herself right and demonstrated that he does have, mm. that, that he does care. He would not have traveled halfway around the world and nearly died 20 times if he didn't care. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He can't pretend anymore. Yeah, right. I also like that um, when they call uh, from the submarine and <laughs> Jotaro has to talk to her very, very briefly or something like that. She's like so excited to hear his voice and stuff. And it's just so adorable. I still think there's like this like vibe that perhaps before puberty, Jotaro was a nicer boy. <laughs> <laughs> like there's a picture that she looks at that's like his mom. You know, uh, there's a picture Su- Susie Q looks at that's of Holly and Jotaro, I think when he was first going into like yeah. high school, yeah, and he's like little he's, baby in short pants, yeah, yeah. He's, he's, he's smiling, you know, like and he he's like a little bit younger than he is now, but it's like I don't know, maybe he was like maybe he only recently had this like really <laughs> tough guy streak, and we just didn't get to see what Jotaro is like before he had this tough guy streak in yeah. high school. I don't know if, if it weren't for that actual picture that exists. I, I think I brought this up when we watched the first three episodes of this a long ass time ago. Holly is running towards the jail cell that Jotaro is in and she's so worried about him and like all these memories of Jotaro being this super nice boy mm. flash by and we you know, I I, I I posited, you know, what if these events never happened and Holly just <laughs> thinks her son can do no wrong, so she just imagines him being this oh, super no. nice boy, even though he's always been a a, a little rascal. <laughs> but no, he yeah, those little a, rascals putting oh. people in the hospital <laughs> and Rascal. crushing all of their balls. <laughs> yeah. Crushing all balls. How can we never see that special yeah. move? They, oh my god. They set it up that never pays Damn off. It, Dude. That should have happened to Dio. Yeah, he should have crushed Dio's balls at the end. <laughs> oh, that's not Dio's balls, though. That's Jonathan's. That's Jonathan's balls, so that's why oh. he can't go after him. Damn it. They're the family jewels, literally. <laughs> you cannot harm your great-great-grandfather's balls. You cannot. <laughs> at some distance, those balls are responsible for him. He, yeah. he can't touch them. Can't touch them. No. <laughs> it's because of those balls that any of us are here talking right now. <laughs> And that's why you have to watch part one. You have to respect Jonathan Joestar and his balls. balls. (laughs) Yeah, Jotaro should have crushed somebody's balls along the way. Probably Dan of Steel. (laughs) No, probably uh, fucking Alessi. Alessi, yeah. I mean, at that height, he probably punched him in the balls. Uh, Yeah, Yeah, that's true. That's That's true, actually. He had like a whole cone of effect. The balls must have been in the zone. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I, yeah, I guess. I guess then Dan, Dan Steele. That would that would be the next one. Cause that guy was just a jerk. Fuck that yeah, guy. He sucked. <laughs> who who would least deserve their balls to be crushed? Out of all the enemy sand of all users. The enemies, uh, yeah. Maybe the orangutan. I don't know. The orangutan's a fucking creep. I just feel like it's like unethical to crush the balls of an endangered species. I don't but know. he's a super smart ape, like. <laughs> I think that makes it that changes things. Ape balls are very, very small. They're hard to hit. <laughs> but, but Star, Star Platinum, Platinum is, is so very precise. precise. <laughs> <laughs> if there's any stand designed for punching small balls, it's Star Platinum. <laughs> this even even later on, the, the, there's the the aided help of being able to stop time. How more precise can you get? <laughs> you got seconds to line up the shot. 
I think I think the stand user that least deserves to have their balls destroyed is probably Oingo Boingo because they're so inept. Oh yeah, they're just dumb. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They, they'll they just, do it themselves. They'll yeah. step on a rake. Yeah, they, they'll just, they just turn the page and it'll just say someone's balls are about to get annihilated, and then it'll be them who's, instead. But who's? We just don't know. By the yeah. way, Oingo Boingo, my favorite band, because I'm an idiot. Yeah, I think I actually forgot to bring that up when we did the Oingo Boingo episode. So that was your favorite band that you Honey. foreshadowed in the last time you guessed it. So there we go. It was Oingo Boingo. I sp- there, that's the answer for those you of you go. who are on the edge of your seat since the last time I was on the podcast. <laughs> Months ago. So unless we got anything else to talk about, I think it's finally time to confront Kakyoin's egg. So have you not talked about Kakyoin's egg? We have been foreshadowing Kakyoin's egg for weeks. Yeah. <laughs> It's like Chekhov's gun. It's Kakyoin's egg. And now we're in Act Three. It's time to time to fucking fire that thing. We're gonna, uh, so, we're gonna get closure on this egg. So in 1994, the artist collective known as Clamp pu- started publishing a, a series of JoJo's Part Three uh, uh, Dejinshi, where uh, Kakyoin and JoJo, after having their their adventures in Egypt, th- this is an alternate telling where nobody died. Everyone's uh, fine. Everyone's fine. And so as soon as they get back, Jojo forces Kakuin to sign a marriage certificate, basically at, at gunpoint, yeah. at star <laughs> platinum point. And so now they're married. And uh, in the second or third of these strips, Kakuin lays an egg and becomes the mother to their child. After, after they had some off-screen sex, which uh, everyone else heard them Every, having. No, everyone and- watched via Permit Purple on a TV. Oh, yes. ew, grandpa, no. And yeah. out pops Jota Kujo, their, their egg child. Who ages very quickly. Mm-hmm. Within like a month or something, he's like a teenager. And he looks almost exactly like just a more Bishonen, you know, Jotaro. Uh, and, and has his own stand that looks like a fusion of uh, uh, Star Platinum and Hierophant Green. Charmy Green. Yeah, I forget what the powers of Charmy Green are. So Clamp, if you don't know... They are the all-lady team behind Cardcaptor Sakura and lots of other hits that are not coming to my mind right now. Uh, X, I think, was them, mm-hmm. whatever it was called. X um, Pollock? I don't know. Uh, Code Geese? That was Clamp. Was that them? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. What, why do you think Lelouch looks like that? Oh, uh, yeah, I guess you're right. Uh, should bring up this, this entire multiple you know, issues. Dojinshi is called JoJo's Bizarre Married Life. And I was looking up Charmy Green's powers, and I thought they had something more unique, but uh, it just has Emerald Starfinger mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and the Uya Uya Rush, which is just, you know, punching really fast. Doesn't roll off the tongue the same as Ura. No. Araki on Twitter has claimed that JoJo's Bizarre Married Life is now canonical. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. How? How? What I don't dies? know. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> yeah. The, yeah. The thing that strikes me after reading all of these is you would expect... It to be more about itself. Uh, uh, but things just sort of happen and people react to them. And it's all very, uh, th- there's no impact to anything. Like no. I wouldn't call it, I wouldn't say there's a plot. Jo- Jojo and Kakuin, it is about their married life. They very rarely even share a panel. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's incredibly chaste, given that yeah, they yeah. were peeping Tom Don by their, by their dad or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah. Uh, they, uh... I do love that issue because of how everybody... It, it is <laughs> a, a classic joke structure where out of nowhere, uh, Joseph decides as their grandfather, I have a right to, to see what my grandson <laughs> and his wife... Kakuin is constantly referred to as a wife, wife and a mother. Yeah. Yep. It's, mm-hmm. it's strictly gendered, uh, their, their relationship. Mm-hmm. Uh, what, what my grandson and his wife get up to. And then Avdol's like, yes, correct. That makes sense. <laughs> Anyway, I named Star Platinum, which kind of makes me related to JoJo too, so I also have that right. <laughs> yeah. And Polarev says, well, as their friends, I also claim this right. And so we have like a rule of threes, and then they, they watch them in their, their marital bed, and then all immediately regret it. Like, whoops, that's the punchline. They yep. all wanted to, but it turns out they didn't want to. The, the issue immediately after that whole fucking thing has Kakiwin learning how to be a better wife by having Holly teach him how to make breakfast. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. Dio shows up for breakfast <laughs> by just, he's just there in one panel. And I love this English translation, at least the version of this you can read in archive.org. Uh, he appears and it, he's supposed to be doing the, like the Uri shriek he does, but it's all fucked up. <laughs> how it's spelled (laughs) so it just looks like Dio appears and just screams some fucking gibberish (laughs) it's spelled as A-Ray-Ray and then he just says immediately after screaming hmm looks like I Dio will be having breakfast (laughs) and he's come prepared with his own personal set of chopsticks you thought it was breakfast but it was me Dio so yeah, the, the joke is in seeing these characters, I guess, that, that we have followed for years. I mean, by, by the point you get to uh, uh, the conclusion, turned into the most like one-dimensional images of themselves, seeing how those versions bounce off each other. So yeah, Dio is just showing up like the weird neighbor in a sitcom to eat breakfast. <laughs> He's the Kramer! And, and he is defeated by the fact that Kakuin is still very bad at cooking food. Uh, he, he cannot stand it. Uh, uh, he, he pukes his guts up and then the world is saved. But Jojo, because he loves his wife so much, can eat the breakfast breakfast and keep it down yeah <laughs> oh i love it i someone, love it it's someone very good. draw dio as kramer or kramer kramer as dio please <laughs> it was me cosmo <laughs> <laughs> so instead of kramering through the door is the the, the dio version of kramer just suddenly appearing in a room via the world <laughs> Mm-hmm, yeah, mm-hmm. and everyone, the audience loves it. He stops it. time, Kramer's through the door, closes the door, <laughs> and then time starts. Yeah, you just hear, <laughs> and then he's just there. <laughs> the audience loses their shit every time. But but yeah, then it's then it's the egg one. The, the egg one. Egg. I was expecting so much more out of this legendary egg one. Yeah, it's right? It's kind of a letdown when, when you actually see it, isn't it? There's just an egg, and everybody's like, Kakuin, is this your egg? And he's like, yeah, I guess so. And then the egg cracks and there's a baby in it it's like the same the the same page like it just happens like there's no lead up there's no pregnancy there's it's just one day (laughs) egg 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 in bed i expect more out of my emperor egg thank you very much yeah i do too i wanted some lead up (laughs) so when i looked this up a couple weeks ago my main curiosity was how big is this egg yes and i thought it was gonna be like the size of a normal ass egg an egg a human could feasibly pass out of their body and it's the fucking size of ponaref i (laughs) i my my expectation of this egg (laughs) was not as small as a what a chicken egg you thought it was 
I was thinking it was going to be like a chicken egg, yeah. How can a baby come from a chicken egg? It's I don't know. Be so tiny. How can an egg come out of cockyween? <laughs> it works for baby chickens. <laughs> but it would be such a tiny baby. I thought it was going to be like like a baby sized egg, like a like a like a football shaped egg. Right. And somehow cockyween would pass this egg. <laughs> But yeah, I did not expect it to be the size of fucking Polnareff. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know this... why that baby had such a roomy egg that it came in. Because the baby is baby size, not Polnareff size. Yeah, that baby's got like a full executive suite inside that <laughs> egg. The infamous panel is just Kakuin crouched on the, the floor, holding a giant fucking egg the size of his torso, shouting, Kakuin, did you lay this egg? Polner, Polnareff. Or Polnareff, yeah, sorry. Yeah. Pol- Polnareff holding the egg saying, Kakuin, did you lay this egg? Joseph, immediately understanding that seeing an egg equals grandson, great-grandchild, mm-hmm. he immediately <laughs> goes over to Kakuin to start shaking his hand and congratulating him. Thank you for laying this egg. I'm a great-grandfather now. He's so accepting, like... It's just beautiful. It's very, mm-hmm. very like, you know, modern minded uh, boomer. <laughs> Not only is his son uh, gay married to his wife, Kakuin, but his wife, Kakuin, had an egg. And he's immediately like, can't wait to meet my grandchild. This is great. One thing that the, the, the comic does uh, make sure we remember is that uh, Jojo is still a high school senior as he is a, a teen dad. Yes. And- <laughs> And Kakuin is is one year behind in school because they all got held back because they they missed so much school yeah. fighting Dio. <laughs> I had a doctor's note. <laughs> so yeah, like the same panel, the egg is is discovered. Jota Kujo just punches his way out of the egg and already wow. has like a, has a Jotaro style attitude. Is he born with the hat? No. They do get him a little hat, though. He takes after his father perhaps too much. They they have a, a horrible rivalry. Yeah. They have a bad relationship, these two. Uh, I just figured that maybe, you know, if babies can be born from eggs, babies can also be born with hats. It's a, it's a little too fanciful. I don't know. It's By the way, crazy. The, <laughs> Jota's stand, Charmy Green, is just named after a random-ass brand of dish soap they have in the house. Mm-hmm, That's mm-hmm. how he gets his name. Great. Yeah. <laughs> Like, this is really, like, I don't know. I understand why it's canon, because it does also feel like it's just made up as it goes along, and, like, it's a dream <laughs> sequence, and if you explain it to anybody else with no context, you sound fucking insane. So there there, there are more uh, uh, adventures, essentially, that the big thing you gotta know is that uh, Jojo seems to be jealous of his egg child. <laughs> yes. Because he gets attention from Kakuin, right? Yeah, that he gets all of Kakuin's attention and that he's really good with his stand from birth and he didn't get a, a cool stand until he was a teenager. And, and, and this egg baby grows up really fast. Like the one week old, this baby is going I, to school. I don't get the point of making a story where they're having a domestic life and raising a baby if they don't get to raise a baby. They don't get to raise I a baby. That it. baby is a teenager when he's 10 years old. I don't get and it. then he meets the protagonist of part four. Yep. So, yes, I know where this guy comes uh, from because I read the egg manga for this. That sucks. <laughs> That's a shitty way to find out. <laughs> it is really funny to go through this manga and see the Stardust Crusaders art style slightly morphed into the clamp style. Mm. It's like halfway between. They're all so leggy. Yeah. They're leggy and they lay eggy. so if i remember correctly grant i think you've told me this before there's a more than one clamp thing where somebody lays an egg child i'm I'm always the the egg always reminds me of a specific episode of revolutionary girl utana 
which is from a different artist collective uh, mm. uh, shared uh, uh, nom de plume. Bipapas? Bipapas? I've, I've never heard it <laughs> pronounced. B hyphen papas. Bipapas. <laughs> Egg papas. You heard it here, everybody. Bee papas. Bee papas. There's nothing more fun than making babies. <laughs> Whether egg or otherwise. <laughs> we don't judge how that baby's made. Egg papas sounds like a 90s band that had a one-hit wonder. Yes. Uh, egg papas opening for Cherry Pop and Daddies. That's <laughs> the one I was thinking of. Okay, there you go. Thank you. <laughs> so, so the big question that I'm sending out into the world is, is this direct inspiration? Because the the married life of, of JoJo came first. Mm. Is this just a, a broader thing in the culture that I only know two examples of? Oh, is this Googling. a wild coincidence? I don't know. I don't know. Egg babies. Uh, <laughs> not getting anything. <laughs> Like, there's something about it that really does feel like, especially in, like, the, the doujinshi slash, you know, kind of, like, fanzine scene of the late 80s and, and early 90s. Is this the 90s Omegaverse? Is this the question yeah, that you're bringing to the yeah. table? Yes, basically. It really I does it feel... Um, so, I found some more information from mm-hmm. the Dragon Ball Wiki. <laughs> the, <laughs> title, the, the title of this page is Birthing an Egg. Cool. Also called Tamago wo Umu. <laughs> It's an ability used by the dragon clan to spit out eggs containing their children from their mouths. It is oh, the yeah. Na- Piccolo. Yeah, it, yeah. it is the Namekian's asexual reproduction. It is used by King Piccolo. You just pick out, p- puke out an egg, and there you That's are. Your baby. I wish we saw Kakuin doing that, though. Oh, man. Yeah, I, I mean, I was going to ask, but I didn't know if it was proper to. <laughs> what hole did the egg come out of, do you think? <laughs> Kakuin doesn't seem to know, which tells me... I don't want to know. Yeah. How do you like do this overnight and not notice it happening? Maybe it's stand magic. Maybe Higher mm. Fan Green did it. Maybe oh. it wasn't him. Okay. Maybe Higher it came out of his stand. He he just opened up the weird gas mask and blah, there out <laughs> egg comes. And and Higher Fan Green is stretchy. Emerald Lay. There we go. Yeah. Yeah, Emerald Lay. And you know, Higher Fan Green is like stretchy, so it works. Mm-hmm. That does work. Dio, you're within a 20 meter web. My stand is fully dilated. (laughs) (laughs) Oh no. I could give birth from any direction. (laughs) (laughs) And you'll have to deliver. I can't deliver your baby if I don't get closer to you. The JoJo's married life is fun. It's it's absolutely fun. I like mm-hmm. it. I think people should check it out. I don't know why it's infamous. I think it's the reputation it has can only come from secondhand tellings. Yeah, I think yeah. that's definitely part of it. And I think it's just the, the the history of just, you know, being squicked out by Mpreg stuff and, mm-hmm. and the history of lol wacky Japan pseudo racism, you know, like Japan's yeah, so like crazy, the, you know. The egg thing really isn't as weird as it sounds. It isn't. <laughs> It really isn't, especially in the context of JoJo's Bizarre Adventure. It's probably one of the least weird things that has happened in the JoJo universe when you think about it. To read it, the takeaway is, oh, well, that's a fun way for for people to... That's a fun take on these characters. This this is just light and whimsical. And oh, okay, I get it. But to hear it mythologized, it's a completely different beast. The, The reputation is way different than the reality. I thought there was going to be a page or two of Kakuin actually fucking giving birth yes, to something. I like we have to go to the, be 
some like, sort of gory labor scene of some sort. Like I thought, I thought it wasn't going to be gory, but you know, it was going to just be like, oh no, Kakimine is pregnant, and we got to take him to the hospital. And then you know, it's just cut to, and he's holding an egg. You know, and he had he had to pay extra for for this the egg on skin contact. <laughs> Like the the way that people talked about it, I thought there would be something gory about it. Mm-hmm. It's incredibly chaste. It's incredibly, you know, the stork uh, delivered an egg. Yeah, like it's very yeah. like you know almost childlike and adorable. It's not, it's not as weird as its reputation implies. The one part of this entire married life saga that I think would carry the weight of of all the 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 stuff talked about is uh, Jojo forcing Kakuin to marry yes, him. That like, is yeah. so much weirder. That's. It, and it says a lot about this version of Jojo that like, I'm, I, I love you so deeply. I'm not going to allow you to say no. And it's not that Kakuin wants to say no. It's that he doesn't ask. He gets told. And yeah. that's, that says something. That's interesting. Mm-hmm. There's uh, grist there. There's not grist in the egg baby. It's just a, <laughs> a, a weird novelty. <laughs> when, when Jotaro and Kakuin go to have sex, it's just, it's also similar to like the, the forced marriage thing where it's like, Jotaro acts like a fucking caveman and just like drags Kakiween <laughs> yes. to the bedroom. <laughs> God. And Kakiween is just like, here we go again. That husband of mine. That's my husband. Yeah. It's very like the the gender roles are very interesting. Yeah. Here and very like you know from a Western perspective, off putting. Uh, but there is like I don't know. There's like some sort of fetishy like oh I, I wish a man would just ravage me. It's sort of like the thing like mm-hmm, sort of mm-hmm. psychology going on here that it's like in real life that would be kind of fucked up and you probably wouldn't actually really want that to happen. Uh, you know there is that element of it, but it is like so chaste. Everything about it is so pure otherwise that it's just like off-putting to kind of see that yeah <laughs> the implication like, is off-putting <laughs> kakuin's reaction to the the whole peeping tom uh story is to say <laughs> mm, okay i'm moving back in with my mom and dad now <laughs> see yeah. you at school tomorrow husband <laughs> By by the way, there's a couple panels here where like Polnareff. There's a part where they're everyone's sitting down to go watch the higher, the Hermit Purple TV to see what Jotaro and Kakumin are doing, and you know they're all rationalizing why they're allowed to watch this. And Polnareff at, says, "I, as their friend, have a right to see, right, Iggy?" And Iggy says, "Uggy, uggy." Uggy uggy. Uggy uggy. Pretty judgmental. I think they're rather handsome young lads. (laughs) Also, when in this version of the the manga, when I flip from that page to the next page, there's like a there's like a cover page, and it's mostly the the JoJo characters, but also there's a couple characters from a different anime. There's like a getter robo thing, and also Sonic the Hedgehog is there. What? Mm -hmm, He's mm -hmm. right next to Iggy. Link me. I need to see Clamp Sonic the Hedgehog. <laughs> uh, the the big robot they're all in the hand of is actually Giant Robo. Oh, sorry, okay. Giant I'll, Robo. I'll let it slide. I'll let it slide. <laughs> I'm not so familiar tiny. enough. Yeah, Sonic's really little. Oh, he's about God, the size of Iggy. Little. Giant yes. Robo's pretty great. I do like the design of Giant Robo. You should check out that OVA. That's I should. Kind of like not the best drawing of Sonic the Hedgehog. I thought it would be a little better looking. He's a little wonky. Yeah. He's a little funny looking. His his feet are a bit. The JoJo's look great, but... Yeah, they're just not used to drawing hedgehogs, I guess. I like that Jota is just Jotaro, but tinted a little green. 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> he's got like no DNA from Kakyoin, even though Kakyoin laid the egg. I think Kakyoin's DNA just removed the cheek lines off of Jota's face. <laughs> he didn't it, inherit yeah. those. <laughs> do you think they ever had any other kids? You think they went for the whole dozen? What, what do <laughs> yeah, you, mean? you know. <laughs> <laughs> I think no, because Jotaro was too worried about being jealous of a second mm. child. He wouldn't. His heart <laughs> co- wouldn't be able to take it. Well, I feel like, you know, maybe, you know, once Jotaro is not, you know, 17, maybe he'll, maybe he'll mature and <laughs> not be super jealous of another child of a mm-hmm. baby. <laughs> well, the idea of Jotaro being jealous of a baby in, at all. <laughs> he wasn't jealous of the baby with the stand. Well, that's because it was an evil baby. This is a baby that was born good, but just with an attitude, so. What other uh, stands did Kakyoin fight? Was it just the baby stand that was like kind of a Kakyoin solo fight? Hanged man and whole horse. Well, that was with that was a Polnareff though. Do you just mean so you just mean solo fights? He was one on one with Darby Younger. He fought a uh, Star yeah, but, Platinum. Yeah, but I mean, <laughs> I mean, like successfully. <laughs> I mean, with solo fights, nothing really. Yeah, that that's a very that's, short list. That's yeah. true. That's true. Um, Avdol's is shorter, honestly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> For some reason, I feel like I think of Stardust Crusaders and I think of Kakyoin as like the last character I list just in general, like characters I remember Mm -hmm. of the of the main crew. Like I would list Iggy as a more impactful persona than Kakyoin for some reason. Yeah, but he a poop loving freak. I I love that boy. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like Kakyoin doesn't have as much personality as the dog. I don't know why. (laughs) And he only got to fight that baby stand. And I feel like I don't remember any other really pivotal moments where it's like, oh, thank God Kakyoin was here to do this yeah the the lovers though he had a big role in yeah mm-hmm. kakyoin left a, a bigger impact me uh, impact on me this time around just because i got i gained a greater appreciation for all the little moments of him that are easy that, to yes like miss or forget about that's true and knowing that he lays an egg eventually kind of yeah just, you know like little things like him being the the good boy goober where th- there's the uh, yellow temperance fight where there's an imposter of kakyoin for most of <laughs> yes. it and then the real the real one shows up and they're like where were you and he was just like sunbathing in your fucking school uniform and he's like yeah of course i'm gonna represent my school always that's the real one that's the one (laughs) he is subtly strange and how committed he is to being a good boy (laughs) the cherry thing is so strange yeah i I feel like like he has very strong individual moments but i forget about him in the bigger scheme of things i guess because like the baby stand is so memorable the cherry thing is so memorable, especially in the Japanese dub, because it's like. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but now that I have the the extra made up canon of him being a milf loving gamer, uh, I fucking love that. <laughs> it's great. It's all in the text, though. That's not made up at all. <laughs> I guess milf, so. You're right. Milf loving egg laying gamer. Uh, I just realized that it's a shame that Kakumi doesn't live on to later parts because there are m- more milfs to come. And he never gets to see them. <laughs> so tragic. He misses out so much. <laughs> R.I.P. Kakuin. He in, never scored. In future episodes, you're just going to be like, man, Kakuin would have loved this if he was with us. Yep, yep. He never lived to see the PlayStation. <laughs> he didn't. Man, he only got as far as the Super Nintendo. Well, maybe in, in the, the egg head canon. That's true. That's he, true. He yeah. goes on to continue. That's, that, that's why it's canon. Because mm-hmm. it's the, the happy ending they all deserve. Kakumin gets to buy a PS2. <laughs> <laughs> he gets to play the latest Gran Turismo. He seems to like racing games, so. Yeah. yeah. 
So he's so excited at the launch of every generation. There's a there's a new racing game just for him. <laughs> new Forza. He's the guy they're making them all for it. Yeah. Every console His cars launch. are so shiny. <laughs> <laughs> Look at the fully modeled interiors. My goodness. Look at this carbon hood. I can carry so many eggs in this bad boy. Look at this hot hatch. How many eggs go in there? Oh boy, oh boy. Okay, so... <laughs> <laughs> now we're just talking about cocking and thinking about cars, so I think we're hitting the end point. Uh, so thank you again for, for joining us, not only for the end of part two, but the end of part three, Voidburger. Uh, where would you like to point people to, to check out some of the things you do? Oh, I'm just Voidburger on all the things that matter. Um, Twitter and YouTube. Um, I post my VODs and my streams and Let's Plays and stuff on uh, Voidburger Gaming on YouTube. I'm on Twitch. I stream weekly, give or take. And I'm making a um, video essay type show for giantbomb.com. Ooh, here, here's a fun thing. I have a, I have a coupon code. Can I, mm. can, I, can I talk about my coupon code? Yeah, okay. please. Yeah. My show on Giant Bomb is a premium show, so only the first episode is free to watch if you don't have a premium account. Sawi, it's a paywall situation, but you can have a month for free, a whole month for free. Uh, if it's a new account, can't use it if you already have one, but you can sign up for a new account, select monthly as the account type, do the capture, create the account. On the billing page, you have to put in that you're using a gift card, um, and you just enter the code VOIDBURGER. No, no capitalization, just all lowercase, void burger, no spaces. And you just type that in in the gift card number field. And then you'll be taken to like a payment page and you put the coupon code in there and it's all good. And you have free 30 days of Giant Bomb. Check out all those cool shows, including my show, which is also mm -hmm, cool. There's mm -hmm. only two episodes as of, uh, but you know, you can use there'll it until more. I, there'll be more. And I think you can use this until the end of the year. And they're not going to screw you over where it's like they're going to you know, charge your credit card without telling you or anything like that. You get a big email warning before that happens uh, so you can cancel your card and not get charged for it. So enjoy that free month of Giant Bomb Premium. Thank you for mm -hmm. your support. I don't get to shill that um, coupon code very often. <laughs> and also the uh, Giant Bomb videos that you help create but are not on camera for. Yes, I am currently the editor of the Very Online Show, which mm -hmm. has Jeff Bacalar, Tamora Hussein, and uh, Lucy James. And they're all very lovely. Two of them have incredibly charming accents. It's a great <laughs> listen as well as a great watch. But they basically talk about weird internet phenomena and why those internet phenomena happen. It's not a meme discussion show. Don't don't get us wrong here. It's definitely not about memes. It's about like how, you know, the modern internet has been built, like the algorithmic reasons why you see the things you see online and all sorts of cool shit like that. It's really interesting. There's a lot of research that Lucy and Tamor put into it and it's really fun to edit. Like they're very, very funny. They're all very funny. So check check that show out too. That's also on Giant Bomb Premium. Uh, and there's one or two uh, free shows that you can watch. And I did one of them. I did the one about OnlyFans. The, f the first couple of episodes were uh, Jan's edits. But now I'm on them. It's cool. Yeah. <laughs> mm -hmm. Maybe more projects in the future. Who knows? And thank you all for, for joining us as we, uh, like I said last week, we could have talked about the end of Stardust Crusaders for four hours. <laughs> yep. <laughs> and between these two runtimes added together, I've proven myself correct. You did. So... <laughs> 
So thank you all for for joining us. Uh, however, speaking of the future, we're, uh, this program, Bizarre Podcast Dogs Must Die, will not be in the near future. We are taking a, a short break to build back up our legendary backlog that has allowed uh, <laughs> uh, things like unbroken uploads to this point for 34 episodes. Pretty yep. proud of that. Wow, that's amazing, it's very though. Good. For real. Thank you so much for editing these, Grant. Like, no, no problem. Excellent. And job. also, uh, uh, you know, having a buffer that lets that happen when life gets in the way or when we're doing other things with our time. And also, it's let me be relatively unspoiled, except for when clamp uh, uh, gets in my head. <laughs> uh, <laughs> while still able to participate in like the discussions around the show, mm. because I know how it is. You you can't help but say something that oh whoops i forgot that doesn't happen for another five weeks i get it i know how it happens yeah so so the backlog helps insulate me from that sort of thing that's very like tactical honestly that's a really good idea (laughs) (laughs) so that means we are going to kick off uh the beginning of part four the first three episodes we'll be discussing those on november 15th an episode that comes out november 15th Uh, uh, Uh-uh-uh, not so fast. That next episode coming at you November 15th is going to be on the first two episodes of Part 4, Diamond is Unbreakable. In the middle of recording that episode, we decided to limit our scope. So uh, in one month's time, you'll hear us do exactly that (laughs) and find out why. Talk to you then. I cannot wait for Part 4. It's really Uh, good. I love Part 4 also. (laughs) Yeah, with that, uh, take a little break, and we'll we'll be seeing you all with part four, Diamond is Unbreakable. I love that name. I don't know what it means about the show, the, this part at all, but it sounds dope. I, I, bet, mm-hmm, I mm-hmm. bet the dogs are very breakable, though. <laughs> <laughs> because they're not diamond dogs. It's a completely different long-running franchise. Exactly. <laughs> dogs are fragile. Dogs are fragile. And I'm going to go hug mine. To be oh. continued. See you later, everybody. <laughs> Bye.